What's going on, everybody? It's the Searching for Something podcast. We look at everything and anything from every angle to see if there's something worth talking about. And today, I'm going to be having the lovely privilege of speaking with a seasoned entrepreneur, visionary, maybe a little sprinkle of the tism here and there, but hey, he's a man with a bright future ahead of him and has already done a lot. And so with that being said, I welcome Caleb John. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. the intro. Yeah. So I'm really excited to just start diving into your journey. I mean, one of the first things that I read about you was that when you were 16 years old, you had created a robotics company? Yeah. So this was my first kind of startup, per se. It was a company called Cedar Robotics, and we were building robot waiters for restaurants. So, you know, it was just kind of one day I was, you know, just this kid who was really into robots, built robot arms. Just all kinds of stuff. It really became this obsession for me when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16. And I just thought it'd be a cool thing to build. Like, you know, what if we could have robots deliver the food? So, you know, had some parts sitting around, started prototyping. And, you know, that company just eventually ended up getting featured in TechCrunch. Ended up working with all restaurants around here. Had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Learned a lot. But, you know, yeah, that was when I was 16. That was my first startup. Yeah. Wow. So let's even start a little bit back because you are a founder uh, and CEO of a, of a current venture, Pongo. But before we get into present day, I always kind of like to start from a chronological order, like the coming, you know, like the coming to age story of Caleb John. So let's just walk it back. Like, when did you first start getting interested in technology, computers? Like, what was that first exposure like? Yeah, you know, I think one thing throughout my life, I've always just been a tinker and a builder. So, you know, Legos as a kid, all that stuff. Um, I think I really got started with coding when I was in middle school. So in sixth grade, we kind of had this like coding kind of part of our class, one of our electives. It was like a two-week thing. And we had like this two-week coding project. We had to build a game in Scratch. It was kind of like this like drag and drop editor. And I just remember I went home and I built this project in like two hours. And, you know, up until, you know, that point in my life, I was, like, you know, never, like, good at anything. I was, like, you know, pretty trash at sports, not very good at music, average student. But, you know, when I started building things, just I felt like things clicked. Like, it was, like, I was, like, firing off cylinders. I was, like, you know, I was doing something that I just knew this is what I had to do in my life. Wow. Okay. So your brain started to find the puzzle pieces, connect it, and you started to kind of feel like, wait. I can actually contribute value to the world. I don't have to be a basketball player. I don't got to be a famous musician. I don't got to be an artist. Like in a way, coding is your art. And it sounded like the moment you found that, your brain just clicked. Yeah, I think for one thing, you know, whenever I build something, I can just kind of see all the pieces in my head. And I can just, I can really quickly kind of like put stuff in order of how it needs to be built. And that just been a huge, like, you know, piece of value in my life and made it easy to build a lot of things that are really complex or, you know, figure out a way to reduce complex systems into like, you know, just the bare minimum to get something built. And I think, like you said, you know, I, I mean, I hate to call it an art, but I think that is like, you know, the thing that has made me like, you know, be able to achieve what I've achieved so far in life. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you were able to make that realization at such a young age and it's propelled you to be the person that you are and there's still so much more to accomplish. So, okay, you initially take this two-week course, your brain starts clicking on, on all cylinders. You're like, wait a minute. Like, I'm good at this. I'm really liking it. And so what was kind of the next move from there? Was it straight to building this company for restaurants? Like, kind of walk me through what was the next step after that? 
Yeah, so that was when I was around 11 years old. So between the ages of like 11 and I'd say 16, um, that was kind of the pre-kind of Cedar robotics business I had. And I, a lot of that with a few years just learning to code, building a ton of random projects. Um, you know, I got into hardware. I had an Arduino kit, which is like this kind of, kind of this microcontroller. You can like control circuits, stuff in your house. And that really got me really thinking about how to control the physical world, which I still think is the future. It's like really interesting, but uh, it was really an obsession for me at the time. So really putting coding with the ability to like, you know, touch the real world with like all of my side projects. And I started just doing like consulting work on Upwork, uh, a lot of these other like freelance sites, freelancer and stuff, just doing Python projects for people, started bringing some money in, uh, doing a lot of like kind of web development, all kinds of stuff like that. And was able to make some good money on the side doing that. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, just I had this experience of coding, but part of me always felt like, you know, hardware and robots were this incredible thing that I think was just untapped. And, you know, at the time I just knew, I was just almost like naive. I knew very little about how much it would take to actually put something in the world, like make it a product. I think that naiveness, like even today, it's kind of a, it can be a virtue sometimes where, you know, it just gives you the ability to do things that are crazy and take risks that other people won't take. So, you know, I think just throughout those years of like, you know, building robot arms, you know, getting better in my hardware skills and then doing a lot of software work, you know, by the time I was 16, I kind of knew like what pieces that I could have to build to make, make this thing, make this possible, you know, at least in my mind. So um, that's really how I went from like, you know, taking that coding class to like being able to start this first company. It was probably a good five year process of like, you know, like th that was my hobby. Like, you know, I didn't, I probably quit sports by the time I was 14. So, you know, from the ages of 14 to 16, it was just like, I was like working like, you know, I was, I was pretty much when I got home from school, I was just like all in on like just trying to like code and build things. And then eventually, you know, I even started just, I gave up on school probably after my like freshman year of high school. Um, another story we can get into, but. Yeah, that's, it's amazing to see what the human spirit will do once you find like what you can do and contribute to the world. And so when you started to do, like you were essentially working a full-time job by the time you would get off a of normal school and you're doing all this freelancing work, like, did somebody tell you that that existed or was it just through your own inquisitiveness that you looked online and you're like, hey, how can I start building, working on stuff? And then you just stumble upon it yourself. Like, how did you even come across being able to know that was an option? Because I feel like for a lot of people, they don't know that's an option until somebody like yourself tells them. They're like, whoa, like, I didn't know I could fucking do that. Yeah, I think, you know, one, I think another thing that has helped me a lot is I just like, scour the internet i will you know spend hours you know reading different blogs watching youtube videos and just find a way to figure stuff out i think you know just in general i've i'm like an information junkie so like you know if you ask me about politics i can probably we could talk for hours about that sports can talk about that art music all this stuff you know i probably know way too much just because you know i'm kind of just like always looking for new information i think you know that's just how like you know if i've got a question i almost say googling is a skill of mine like i can use Google in certain ways to like find the right info really quickly. And I think that, you know, that just kind of got developed in all these years of like me kind of just, you know, kind of trying to figure stuff out on my own, on my own. You know, I was kind of like a lonely kid. I didn't have like a ton of friends just cause I was kind of an awkward person. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of it just like, you know, when you're by yourself, you know, you really are able to, you really start kind of realize like, Hey, like I got to figure this out for myself. Like I can't be like hoping someone else, no one's coming to save me. So yeah. Yeah, it sounded like, you know, with all the buzz of large language models and, you know, chat GPT, we're, we're now learning about prompt engineering. It sounds like you've been doing prompt engineering since you were pretty much 11, you know, going through trying to find the right questions to ask. And so I'm sure the ability to ask questions has served you well. Yeah, I think asking the right questions is super important. I think, 
you know, it's a tough skill to learn. I think you just got to do it. I think, you know, one thing with like, you know, now raising money and like doing the VC backed world, um, I, you know, I'm starting to finally learn like what are the questions I should ask an investor? Um, you know, definitely early on, like I didn't know anything. So I think a lot of it's not, I think one thing people got to realize is like, I was on board with a lot of these skills and, you know, a lot of it was just like putting in hours of doing it. You know, I don't think I'm actually that much smarter or like some kind of genius compared to the average person. I think a lot of it is just like, I just refuse to quit. A lot of times there's a problem in front of me. And, you know, like, you know, if I need to find an answer, like I was going to try every single way to get that information. And I think that's like, you know, just one thing that served me well. Yeah, I think that's a great call out because I think it's really easy for somebody to look at your journey and be like, oh, well, he's always been able to do that or he's always been gifted or it's easy for him. There's always an excuse that somebody will create so that they feel like less shitty for not doing the things that you're doing. But really what you're saying is, hey, I'm the product of repetition and hard work and I just you know, I'm searching for the truth and I'm inquisitive and I want answers and that wheel in my mind just never stops. And so it's through just putting one foot in front of the other that's led you to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. I don't think, you know, people need to feel shitty about themselves. Like, you know, I obviously have taken a lot of my life to extremes. You know, there are times in my life where I've worked like, you know, 18 hours a day, slept like two hours a night, three hours a night to try and get stuff done for like, you know, three, four month periods. Like, that is not a requirement to have a happy, successful life. Like, I chose to do that. It doesn't make me better than anyone. You know, even if I made billions of dollars, like, you know, I don't think that that's something people should feel bad if they don't want to do. But I think if you do, like, you know, want to go out there and, you know, build something great, unless you are, like, a super genius, you know, you got to be ready to, like, you know, learn a lot of new stuff, be an idiot for some time, and really just put in the reps to, you know, get to where you need to be. And I'm, like, you know, to be honest, I'm still not even there a lot of times. You know, there's a lot of things, like, I'm still learning every day. I'm trying to get better at. So, you know, I think definitely, you know, none of us, there's not a really a ton of super genius out there. I think a lot of us just got to realize like, hey, I just got to put in the work a lot of times. I got to, I got to meet the right people who can maybe show me shortcuts because they've already learned it. I think that's definitely an underrated thing that I've been doing more and more of. But yeah, again, I, th- I think, you know, people don't really feel shitty about themselves. They don't want to do it. I think you got to decide like, what are my goals in life? Like, what do I want to achieve? Yeah. And I think part of the reason why a lot of people do feel shitty about themselves when they do hear about stuff like this is kind of like we're living in that Instagram world now, you know, where everyone's biggest highlight is curated on the front page and people are mindlessly scrolling through it. So when they're like, Hey, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do, but Hey, look, Caleb just made a billion dollars. What the fuck? I'm a piece of shit. What am I doing? You know what I mean? So it's like, because all of these, the success is shown without the all the hard work that happened in the back end, people do find that a reason to feel bad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, as a society, I think we've, you know, we definitely glorify wealth a lot. And I think, you know, a lot of times that can come at the expense of relationships or, you know, I think a lot of times people, you know, you'll see business owners exploit workers, you know, just to make an extra buck. And I think, you know, it's definitely something that I think, you know, it has, you know, American, American capitalism definitely has its pros. I mean, but there are some cons, you know, I think, you know, the competitiveness and stuff, like, it can definitely drive people nuts, drive people nuts. I think we're talking about, you know, especially with social media, like, you see that top point zero zero one percent that's, and there's like, but there's so many, because you're seeing global, like, you know, you can feel like I haven't done jack shit. And a lot of times, you know, I still feel like, you know, I compare myself to like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, I'm like, that guy was a fucking billionaire at my age. So, you know, I think definitely trying to come to peace and just be like, okay, like, hey, I got to figure out what my goals are. I got to figure out what I need to do to get those goals done. I kind of just got to block out all the noise. I think, cause you know, I grabbed like, you know, definitely like 
it fucked me up. Like there were, you know, there was a point in my life where, you know, I literally did nothing but work because I was just so like, I felt like I, you know, I felt like, you know, the standard was I got to be like a billionaire by the time I'm 21. Obviously that did happen, but you know, and you know, I think that, you know, sometimes if we take a, if we take a step back and look at the bigger picture, I think, you know, it can be a lot healthier and, you know, you can still achieve a lot of great things. You know, I think that's the thing, like, you know, being like a lot of mental angst isn't required to do great things. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. And like you said, I think when we see all the 0.001%, like you said, but it's a global platform. So when that's all that the algorithm favors, you're like, wait, I'm ugly. Everyone around me is a Calvin Klein model mm -hmm. and Victoria's Secret models. Like, how come I got no hose around and how come I don't got the washboard six pack? Why do I have a billion dollars? You know what I mean? So it's just all this brainwashing in our head so that people don't feel the confidence to want to go build that idea that they have, you know, because, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. now, there's a lot of people that you can talk to that have million dollar ideas. But like you said, it's not about being a super genius because there's not a lot of super geniuses on the, in the world. But, it, you know, it takes a village to raise a baby. And that baby is an idea. And you got to have the village come and say, hey, you do this, you do that. And so it really, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that, you know, mentors and just people, like, around you can help you. That, a lot of times, is what is going to determine the outcome of, like, you know, your business. When I think about, actually, the robotics company, so, we were selling to restaurants, so, I'll tell you the story. So, you know, I was cold calling restaurants, you know, I was, like, 15, 16 years old, you know, kind of higher voice than I got now. Sometimes doing it for my school bathroom, too, which is a funny, funny story. Oh, you're doing it for your school bathroom? Yep, yep, yep. It's a squeaker? Yeah, yeah, I hope that nobody else will come in, you know, take a dump next to me. But, you know. They hear the toilet flushing in the background. Yeah, so I think I called maybe 237 restaurants. I still remember the number. And I got one call back, and that one company, he offered to try it. He said, I'll try your thing. Like, uh, you know. So what was your pitch? I was just saying, hey, guys, I have this robot waiter that can, you know, help deliver food from, like, the kitchen to the table. And that was what I was telling people. And I didn't know sales, didn't know anything about anything, right? Wait, so yeah. e let's even take a step back before we get to the story and the 237 people that you called. So you've always been a tinker, a builder. You've always been wanting to, you know, interact with the physical world through technology. Like you said, that's what you believe the future is. So what made you see this as a problem worth solving? Yeah, you know, I think one thing. So in 2016, Google released a platform called TensorFlow, which is like their machine learning platform. Um, it had this computer vision thing where you could take like, you could, they had like a demo where you could, you could classify different flowers. So I took that, I think this was like my freshman year of high school. And for like our final project, I built like a classifier that detects different kinds of skin cancer. And it was really easy actually. Like the way that, you know, they had built a ton of things to abstract away a lot of the mathematics and stuff. So, you know, if you were able to follow it and stick with it, you actually could do this pretty easily. And that just kind of caught me thinking like, you know, like, you know, I was obsessed with robots. I'm like, you know, how could we use this technology like in other places? And, you know, I think another thing I thought about was like, what are like businesses I could sell to today, like age 15, 16? And, you know, like obviously I couldn't sell big companies at that time, right? Like, you know, they'd never buy from a teenager. But like, you know, I felt like restaurants, you know, it's a small business. Like, you know, maybe there's like one owner. It's a small staff. Like I could get in touch with the owner pretty easily of this business and the decision maker. So that plus just, you know, just it seemed like a really obvious use case where I could understand it. That kind of made me think like, okay, I should like sell to restaurant owners. I, you know, I tried grocery, thought about grocery stores, other things like that too. But with grocery stores, you have a lot of issues with, you know, mainly big chains on them, right? You want to sell the safe way. 
you got to like go reach like the VP of like the North American or the Pacific division, right? You know, the restaurants, a lot of times it's mom and pop, right? It's like, you know, maybe there's maybe five people who are operating the entire thing. Sometimes one, right? So I kind of felt like I could get like off the ground quicker and get like someone to like say like, yeah, I'll use this and validate the idea quicker. And that's really why I chose restaurants as a go-to-market. Oh, interesting. Okay, so first this new technology by Google comes out and it's starting to have a lot of ideas come through your head and you're like, okay, well, if I were to want to sell into a particular market, where's somewhere that I could reach the decision maker where I'm not having to go through all these hoops and they're actually going to take me serious because like you said, they're a mom and pop store. They're going to be more willing to take it on, validate the idea. So, okay, so you first identified who you would want to sell to. So then once you identified the restaurant, how did you come up with the idea? That was just kind of just, I just felt like, you know, one, I feel like there's a lot of, there'd be a lot of like, you know, wow factor. Like, you know, I did put this restaurant, this robot in restaurants. People would just come up and talk, talk to me questions. They like look at it. People take videos. Like it was definitely a novelty factor and like a wow factor. I felt restaurants could, you know, would like. And then two, it did automate like a decent amount of labor. Um, I'll tell the story later. I actually realized that we had built a software system to go with the robot, that actually was more valuable. I ended up like axing, which was a huge mistake um, that I made. But that, you know, we kind of felt like we could automate like 95% of the trips the waiter made between the table and like the kitchen. So, you know, that was really why we just felt it was good. It was the right kind of product to start with. And just two, I was really just obsessed with the technology. Kind of felt like, you know, I think Steve Jobs has always been a hero of mine. I think I've read his biography probably 15, 16 times since I was like, you know, 11 years old. And, you know, I always felt like, you know, I wanted like some kind of signature product that people could see and, you know, be like, hey, I built this. And, you know, there was kind of an ego thing, but I think still it's kind of like that a lot of that different, those different factors kind of just inspired me to start like start like that. Ah, interesting. Okay, so then now that we have the context set and the reason for why you're doing this, you're in the school bathroom, you know, you called 237 people, you got the one call back. And so once you got the call back, what did the person say? And then what went from there? Yeah. So this person, he actually owned a large restaurant supplier in the Seattle area. He sells to a ton of different restaurants out here. So where you did know. you even see all the numbers to call? Like, how did you start there? I went to Google restaurants near me. And then we went, I went copy paste into a spreadsheet, ah. just manual labor. You know, a lot of times people spend days, how do I automate this? How do I do this? And a lot of times you just got to fucking do it. You got yeah. to, you know, you're gonna, if you know, if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. That's a great, yeah. that's a great quote. So, you know, I was eating shit for sure. And, you know, I remember uh, this guy was like probably the last, cause he wasn't actually a restaurant owner. He, w- he owned a restaurant supply store. So he was like the lot, I, you know, and he was kind of, and you know, I didn't really un- think, realize the potential of this call when I was making it. I was kind of just like so tired, but you know, he called me, I just got on the phone with him. He's like, oh, hey, this sounds really interesting. Like, can you come meet me in Bellevue? So, you know, I was like, yeah, I was just excited someone gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I ended up going and meeting him. And he actually didn't even know we were doing a robot. He's just a super open-minded guy. He was down to meet with someone selling technology for restaurants. And he saw it and he's like, this is going to be something restaurants need. And he was like, he was super on board. He's like, hey, I got to help you. And then my, you know, he was like, you know, he's in his mid-60s now. And he was just more of a, become a great mentor for me. And he ended up connecting with a ton of different restaurants in the Seattle area. And he's really the reason that product ever even got, you know, I even got in front of restaurants. You know, a lot of times you'll, you got, you know, you think that like, hey, like I'm this like, you know, I can do this by myself. But like I said, it takes a village. You need someone, someone's got to give you a break a lot of times. Like, you know, somebody's got to like look at you and be like, hey, I want to help you. And, you know, just by meeting those people, that's really a lot of time what's going to get you to that next step in life. 
Yeah, I always say the lone wolf mentality is just dead wrong because that we're social animals. We're packed animals. Those wolves, they go in packs. And it's like if the wolf ends up just going by itself, that wolf's going to die. Yeah. You need to have you people do. around you to you know be a unit. You're just much more effective that way. So when you were calling down these lists of like the 237 people that you were identifying, a lot of the times were you getting people on the phone and like what were their first objections to it? Or was it like to voicemail? Like what was that first like? Man, there were a lot of people the second I was trying to sell them, they just hung up. So most restaurants, that phone number is like for people trying to order. Yeah. So a lot of times just be some staff member. Sometimes you have to talk to the manager. So you'd be like, hi, um, I ate a trick I do is like, hey, I ate here about a week ago. I'd like to speak to the manager. I just, I would just like to talk to them. There's lots of people, you know, it's a minimum wage worker. Like, I don't give a shit. They just put you on the phone and you try. That's a good opener though. I like that. Hey, you know, when you're desperate, you know, like this, you know, you're desperate. Like you'll try a lot of stuff. So, you know, definitely just, okay, how do I get your attention? Right. There's a lot of like sales comes back to how to get your attention. So, you know, try all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, I think that the way restaurants buy stuff is they don't buy stuff over the phone and all they do have emails. You need some guy who they have like, they have a relationship with these suppliers who was like my friend who I ended up getting connected with and you got to get in contact with them. You know, I didn't even, this is not a Google blog anywhere because a lot of most companies don't sell in the restaurants, but that's just the way they buy like equipment and stuff. So, you know, once I got plugged in with him, we basically had, I had this almost endless supply of restaurants I could work with now because he always just had such a great reputation in the area. Restaurants buy from him where he like, you know, he, a lot of restaurants, their entire kitchen was like bought through him. So he's going to call him up and be like, Hey, I got a product to try. They're going to get on the phone and listen. So after that, that almost took care of my sales side. And from there, you know, we just talked to different restaurants. I mean, basically what we did at that point was I had a minimum marketable product. You hear all about an MVP, right? Minimum viable product. With hardware, you know, because it's so hard to get stuff productionalized. You know, I just made a demo video of this thing driving around. And I would show it to them and be like, hey, like, um, we have this product. If you'd like to buy it, here's what pricing would look like. You know, and then we'd walk through the actual steps of, like, getting this deal done. And at the very end, be like, hey, like, you know, we don't have this yet. But, you know, if I make this, would you like to buy it? And they say, yeah, sure. At that point, but you've, you've kind of validated the idea of like, Hey, restaurants will pay X for this. And we, you know, they'll pay it for this duration. You know, here's what your price. And you kind of know like what your product's going to cost and so on. So that was like the first step, you know, that actually ended up being the easier step. Cause you know, building hardware is actually just extremely expensive hard, you know, especially getting production has all kinds of regulation you know, I go through. And that's what the eventual reason why I don't work, why I stopped working on that idea. But you know, that was really what helped us validate this whole process of like, you know, go find the customer. And it's if you're doing any kind of startup, what you should be doing is like one, find your customer, talk to them, figure out what their pain points are. And, you know, from there, figure like, you know, what they would buy and go from there. Yeah, I love that. That's it's so awesome that just through happen chance, you got connected with this guy that has all this credibility in this market. And he believed in you and had this open mind to just hear you out. You know, like, I think that's so important. It's like, just being able to lend an ear to somebody and that get like, who knows if you would even be on your current venture right now, if you didn't have that conversation with that guy. No, absolutely not. I think, I think, I think a lot of my life I can point to like maybe like a handful of events that like, you know, we're almost like those black swan events that like, you know, really changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, but I can, the one thing I'll say is like a lot of people will try and only have black swan events. You have a lot of duds too. A lot of things you think could pay off. They just don't work out. Like, you know, a lot of meetings I went into with really high expectations and they didn't deliver, right? They ended up doing nothing, but you got to try everything, right? You know, the harder you work, the luckier you're going to get, right? If you want luck, you just got to keep rolling the dice. Yeah. You got to keep putting yourself out there. Um, that's another thing I think, you know, I think 
you're just being willing to meet people. You know, I'm down to meet with just about anybody. And, you know, I think another thing I just tried to, I always will try and pay it forward too. You know, like if I see like, you know, some young, like some young kid trying to do a startup, like I'll try and like connect with people I know now. Like, you know, I think that's like, the, I think when you, I think a lot of people who are successful will also be, are some of those helpful people to meet too. Like, cause they understand like, you know, I wouldn't be here unless a lot of people made stuff happen for me. So they want to kind of pay it forward too. Yeah. that's a great point. I think so many times everyone wants to take, they want to take, 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 but it's really, what are you willing to give? You know, it's like if you were able to look at the universe and the universe says you can have everything that you want, but what are you willing to give for it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people have absolutely nothing to say. And so when you're able to do something as simple as, hey, connect this person to that person, you're, you're giving now. You're not just taking, you know, it's, it's yin and yang. It's not just take, you got to give too. Yeah, for sure. I think. You know, one thing I'll say, well, the biggest way you can tell, like, you know, between, you know, especially with younger people, which is like a self-made, someone who's like, you know, made their own connection, made their own way. And someone who's just kind of, you know, they're kind of like a Nepo baby. Like, they yeah. kind of, <laughs> is they'll name drop a lot of people. But if you're like, hey, if I could meet with this person, it'd be crazy. And they're just never, they're like, they're like, oh, they don't want to actually make that intro. You know, odds are it's probably someone their parents know or something like that. You know, versus I think, you know, you know, if you ask me or, you know, you had Jake on the podcast too, you know, like. You ask one of us to make an intro, like it's gonna happen. Like we we know that person. That's a relationship we built by just networking, you know, going out and doing stuff. You know, that's probably the one thing I always love doing with people. You know, like I know someone they can help you. Like let's connect them, because I think it also is full circle. Like you know, if I then need to like you know, let's say you have some investor, some customer, like I want to talk to, you're gonna be like, hey, like I'm gonna help this guy. This guy, he's like he helped me out too. So it's kind of like, you know, I think a lot of times, and it doesn't have to be like a transactional relationship. Like we're all just friends, but it's like, hey, like, you know, when you're just helping friends, I think a lot of great stuff happens, you know, like I really hate people who are super transactional. You know, I know a lot of people like there's like this, you know, I know I'm, I don't want to say this, but there's one guy who's hit me up like, you know, last like six months, three times And each time. It's just like, Hey, can you treat me to this person? And it's like, you know, one of our investors, someone, you know, it's like, it's a big, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I don't want to waste this person's time. And it's like, you know, I'll do it. But it's just like, you know, a lot of times like, you know, those transactional people, they don't get very far just because people don't want to help them. But I think people that are genuine and like, you know, they got like a lot of drive and they're, you know, they're also givers. Like, they're the people who eventually get to the top, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you have to earn the right to have the ability to ask those questions. Hey, can you intro me to this person? You have to earn that right. But if you're not earning it and you're just clearly having the relationship be transactional, then it's like, dude, fuck you. Like, exactly. I know what you're doing and I'm going to help you because I'm a good guy. And I obviously do want to see you be successful. But like, you have to also contribute your fair share to the relationship mm -hmm. too and it's like it's about building the community if you just kind of keep coming to me well like what are you doing for like what are you doing for me though you know what i mean yeah and i think that's everything right like you know you you got to be i think a lot of times people like you know business is just relationships a lot of times like you know somebody somebody knows somebody like and that's not something you can really astroturf per se like you know that's one reason why i think you know being i think like you know one thing i'm like I, I'm uniquely it's like, even though I can like code and build all these things, right? I still have good enough people skills where I can go and build relationships and you know make stuff happen. You know, I can pitch the company. I think that's like the, probably a, that's probably even more important a lot of times in coding. Like you know, like just because you can code really well doesn't mean you know you're, you can be a great entrepreneur. I think you know, I think a lot of people like Mark Zuckerberg or you know a lot of these like technical founders like they're such unicorns like that they can you know they have like this incredible you know technical skill, but they also can manage people. And they're also just great, like, at managing these relationships and, like, you know, marketing the company. 
you know, there's very few people like that, like that out there. You know, that's a lot of times you're going to see co-founding teams, right? Somebody does, or, you know, you have three people who are kind of, kind of jack of all trades at all, but, you know, they combine, they can make it happen. Or like, you know, like there's like a salesperson, there's like a tech person, and there's like an operations person, right? Because, you know, it's just like, you know, really there are just so few people out there who can do it by themselves. Like it just doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think just kind of talk, going about, there's people who have great technical abilities, but that's why coming back to the person that you had mentioned, Steve Jobs, another person that I also, you know, greatly look up to and is definitely, you know, somebody that's inspired me a lot and, you know, read the biography as well. So I think what's so amazing about what he did and what it kind of shows is although this dude crazy IQ and could have technical abilities, he needs to be able to speak the language of the people that are developing this product. But I think one of the biggest things that he did was just being able to sell a vision. You know, it's like if you can get people to buy into the vision, then obviously you're going to attract the right talent to make it into a reality. But so many times, like when you just have somebody who's very deeply technical, but they don't have that ability to communicate or create a narrative, that idea may not go that far, even though it's probably amazing. You know, Steve Wozniak needed Steve Jobs. Yes, he 100%, needed him. Hundred percent. And you know, I think there's another dimension to this is willing to just take risk and then just willingness to not give up. I think you know you could. I do know a lot of people. They have like you know they're really talented. They probably could do something, but just like they're just not like very risk. They're very risk averse, right? Like you know, like a lot of times, like you know, like. People will say what I did was like borderline insane, like dropping out of college to do this. Like, you know, and I totally understand the risk I took. It's just like, you know, for whatever reason, even when I was in high school, like, you know, this is something. So after my freshman year of high school, I basically just like gave up on school. I stopped doing homework, pretty much only showed up to take tests and like had like 50 un, like, un, like what missing assignments my last semester, I remember, like sophomore year before I left. Um, you know, and part of it, I just made this risk calculation of like, hey, like, I think if I build something cool, that's going to benefit me more long term than anything I'm doing at school right now. And yes, I probably won't go to like Harvard or MIT or whatever. I won't have a good GPA, but I just have a feeling I can make this happen without school. And that bet ended up being 100% right. Like, you know, not just like as an entrepreneur, but I ended up like you know, I did work as like a software engineer, you know, for a little bit. And I had like, you know, I was able to get, you know, interviews at Google, you know, Amazon, all these big tech companies and stuff. And it was really just based off like the stuff I built at the startup, you know, but when I took that bet, pretty much everyone thought I was insane. You know, I remember just people were just like, what is this guy doing? You know, like, you know, I think that, that, that was really another thing. I think we always underestimate too. And like, you know, what makes people successful? Some people are just like, they're willing to risk it. Like they're willing to put all, you know, push the money to the center of the table. Like I'm betting the house right now. I think, you know, and I will always be someone like I'm all in, like, there's no like backup plan. There's no plan B like, like even with the start right now, like it's like we got to make this happen. Like I have no like fallback plan. I don't have a job lined up, but like Amazon is an engineer or something after this. Like it's do or die. Yeah, it's not about just putting the tip in. You gotta go balls deep. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, so going back to the chronological order of what you're doing now. So you meet this mentor. This dude has all the credibility in the world. He pretty much took care of the sales side for you. Now you're going and essentially going to these restaurants and like, hey, would you buy this? And a lot of them are, are showing interest. And so what ended up happening with that venture? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much that I basically spent two years of my life basically trying to productionalize that robot. So, so from 16 to 18? From 16 to 18. So 
you know, when you look at self-driving cars, I think we've seen self-drivers on the car road, self-driving cars on the road for about 10 years now, right? 2013, you saw the first iterations. So you kind of get this like logistical progress where that first 80% is really quick. You can get to like 90% really quick too. And you hit this like wall kind of where it's like, you know, this last five to 10% where these edge cases just fuck you up a ton. And, you know, a lot of it's just because of technological progress where, you know, you just can't account for everything in sensors, you know, especially with restaurants, you know, self-driving cars, you have, you have roads and stuff where there's more structure. With restaurants, it's totally unstructured. So, you know, that really just came down to, you know, us not being able to get to that last, you know, 5%. And with restaurants, like, a lot of times, like, if you bump in something like, you know, every, like, even one out of every thousand trips, right? If you spill, like, super, say, like, the restaurant just can't tolerate that because, you know, it's such so a mess. So cutthroat. It's cutthroat. And, you know, I think a lot of it's just, you know, like, you know, like, the technology just wasn't ready yet. I think that's really what it came down to, especially, you know, I had pretty limited resources at the time. It was just, you know, whatever money I'd made from, like, doing business and stuff and just, you know, and it was, like, parts off Amazon. I just once to build a prototype, I actually took wood from this construction site near my house. Another funny story. Some of the prototypes, early prototypes. Um, Wait, so you just saw wood and then... So like, I yeah, need like, to build, I need to build, like, a, the base for this robot, right? I didn't have any wood. And I just was like walking. I think I was walking from somewhere. I saw a construction site. I'm like, hey, that's plywood. I could. I I just, I just saw it in my place. <laughs> I had like this like manual handsaw. I was like, all right. I just took like a couple planks home. And I, that's that was how some of the first models were built. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I mean, hey, like sometimes I think a lot of people like think you need money. Like we're doing this podcast right now. It's two mics and it's a laptop, right? You don't need like a fancy studio. You a lot of times you just gotta have the will to do it. You don't need a million bucks, but you know, I do think with deep tech that eventually, eventually you do will hit something at a ceiling. You know, I think like you know. Um, that is a problem. I think, you know, you're not seeing like robot waiters become ubiquitous in the last like three years since stopped doing it. So I think it is something where the technology is not ready, but I think, you know, it was a great learning experience. It did definitely drain a lot out of me. Um, actually, so after I ended that startup, I was like, when I was 18, I was 250 pounds and I was like, you know, just burnt out, exhausted. One day I was just taking a shower and just straight up collapsed. And I was like, that was kind of the moment I was like, all right, you know, I've like given this everything I got, you know, sacrificed my health, everything. I was like, all right, probably time to try something new. So, you know, from that point on, I took like about a year. That was the year I went to UW. I lost 70 pounds, uh, went on this crazy diet, got my health back in check. 70 pounds? I did, yeah. It was just, you know, because again, I think just that stress of like, you know, me feeling like, you know, I don't need, like, you know, every waking hour was no longer spent on the robot. I had time to like do other stuff. I did some freelance work and stuff on the side, kind of got back to, you know, doing software, exploring different things. And, you know, I was still, I'll be honest, I was kind of, I was kind of like, you know, I was kind of lost at that point in my life. Like, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I knew I was going to start something, but, you know, part of me just felt like, you know, I think it was, I was kind of, I felt like, okay, let me just like, you know, let me try just be doing, doing soft coding for your job. Cause it was, it was pretty easy. And, you know, I, I once I started applying to jobs, you know, I had a ton of different like, great opportunities. So, you know, I decided like after the COVID year, you know, 2020, I figured 2021, all right, let me just do like internships. So ended up getting, I got internships at this company called Enderal, which is like a defense company started by a guy who started Oculus. Um, he left and took a lot of people from Facebook and Palantir and they started making basically defense tech. Um, really cool company. And I was supposed to work at DoorDash over the summer and then Datadog after that. And so Seattle, um, LA, and New York were the three cities I was going to be in. It was kind of be like, just take a sabbatical, code, meet people. That was the plan. So um, after freshman year, I started working at Android. Um I was working kind of on the machine learning platform there, um, you know, building out like these big data pipelines for machine learning. It's somewhat similar to what I'd done with the robot. So just on a much larger scale with other people. Um, I actually had this really crazy boss. He was like a really cool guy. Um, he actually had joined Facebook when he was 19. 
Um, he was an intern. He performed so well. He got to meet Mark Zuckerberg. Um, he actually dropped out of like uh, school in Europe and came to the United States and started working on the original PyTorch team, which was like, Damn. which is now like the largest like you know ML like framework that's like powering ChatGPT and all this stuff. So just an incredible guy. You know, I think I just being in the same room with him. He was incredible. Just like you learn so much. Um, so he was like 25 or something. He was like a manager. Like he was managing like a huge part of this company's infrastructure. Um, the, you know, the, you know, not just our company, like you know, national defense infrastructure at this point. So I got to learn a ton. I was there for an intern. I was interning there for almost eight months, actually. And, you know, he, me and him had definitely a conversation about, you know, me dropping out to do what he did at Facebook. Um, just, you know, I, I kind of always knew school wasn't for me. So that was actually originally, like, what the plan had become, where I was going to, like, do these internships. And then the plan after the, inter- after the first internship was like, oh, I'm just going to, like, drop out and work full time here. And then, you know, when I was there, uh, this is where, you know, kind of, the startup is going to come to thing. I was working on this side project, which was, it was called Pongo at the time. It was something totally unrelated. It was like this small business review thing, kind of like making it easier for like SMBs to collect Google reviews. Totally, totally different side business. Um, not going to be like a venture scale thing or anything. But um, I ended up applying to this like UW startup club called Dubhacks Next, which your friend Sharon was the co-founder of. And, you know, just interviewed, uh, met this guy named Albert Lamb, who's now one of my best friends, but he just kind of hit me up like, hey, like you have an interesting background, love to chat. And he's like, hey, you should apply for this program, meet some interesting people. And so I was like, sure. So that was kind of when I was working at Android. So, you know, something I was doing at night. And, you know, part of me actually thought I, you know, we were just working on that. And um, just one day, Y Combinator actually came to UW and they gave a talk. And they were like, hey, you know, we'll take anybody at any stage, just apply. So, you know, I ended up applying to Y Combinator, just thought there's no way I'm going to interview. I'd, I'd applied before with like real traction, like the restaurants that had signed up, like LLIs, all that stuff, right? And they rejected me. So I just applied, I'm like, you know what, I'm, again, I'll always take, I'm always like, you know, I'm always going to take the chance. So did the application, thought nothing of it. So, you know, about, I would say December 23rd, it was probably a few weeks after I applied, we actually get an email and they're saying, hey, we'd like to interview you for Y Combinator. And they interview maybe like 1% of the startups that apply, uh, probably even less now. And they're like, yeah, we think you have an interesting background, like, let's talk. And, you know. This is December 21st or, tw- yeah, 21st. Um, the interview is January 4th. And, you know, the product that we pitched them, we not built. So we kind of, we did talk to a couple of people. I thought maybe we could just do this, like, pre-product or something. Guy, and one of the people we talked to for our, our mock interview, it's like, maybe let's just try building it. And this on December 23rd, we had this. Um, so basically over that Christmas, we pull, like, Four all night, four or five all nighters, and we actually build like an MVP of this product, this reviews product, and you know we actually got it to like a customer to like try it out before the white community, and that was just kind of like, you know, one of those moments where you just like you just gotta make it happen, and you know, we did all that, go to the white community review, and you know, just just wasn't the vibe wasn't right. I think they just didn't like believe all the stuff we were saying, like vision wise, because again, it wasn't like supposed to be a VC scale business, but they're like, hey, just keep in touch, you know, you'll work on something else. So end up getting rejected, but. Um, through Dubhacks Next, um, Albert actually ended up introing us to a ton of different investors in the Seattle area. And one of them, Kirby Winfield from Ascend, um, he ended up just offering to invest in like, what we were doing. He's like, I know you guys are probably going to change what you're doing. This may not be it. But you know, I truly believe in you as a founder. Like, you know, you've been doing, being an entrepreneur for a long time. You know, you've been through a lot. You know, I think you know, you're still young enough, though. You still got, like, you, know, you can still hustle and make all this stuff happen. And you are technical, too. So you're not going to have to hire an engineer and go build your product. So he offered to invest. So he ended up raising money. And then I ended up leaving Enroll to you know, do Pongo full-time. And then from there, that's like a whole nother story, just pivoted a million times. But yeah, that's kind of like how I got from quitting Cedar Robotics to like where I am now Pongo. 
Yeah, I love that. There's so much to unpack there. And I, I rambled for quite a bit. My no, apologies. I, no, no, don't apologize. I loved hearing all of it. I would say the first question that I have before, because, you know, I always like, in my mind, it's always structured like in a narrative. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, before we start moving on to this part, you know, once you were done with Cedar Robotics, like, and you collapsed, like you, you were talking about, like you were just so fucking empty and drained yeah. from that. So what would you say was like the biggest thing that you learned from that venture? And like, what was the biggest challenge that you think put you in such a good position to start thriving in all these different internships that you were pursuing? I think the biggest thing was I knew how to build really hard things really quickly. And I just got really good at coding, just building things. Like I think a lot of times at Android, cause it was, it was kind of a later stage startup, but there are a lot of times they're just like, Hey, we need you to build this. And like, we're not going to hold your hand where it's like, you were throwing you in the fire. Like, and you know, I was just so used to like operating in that. Right. So I did really well. You know, I was able to like, you know, they were like, Hey, we need you to build this. I was able to just figure stuff like, again, like Googling that was, that's still like, you know, if I had some bug, I was not going to like ping my like senior managers and be like, Hey, like I was able to figure a lot of stuff out on my own. So I think that's like why I was able to do so well there. And just, you know, I think, and even on the interviews, like just, you know, I think I had just done so so much of it that like you know like an intern level interview was like it was just really easy for me to pass so that was just what it came down to got it okay so from a technical standpoint you were just able to sharpen your sword so well yeah so by the time you got there like hey this is what i do yeah i i work with incomplete information and i make shit happen yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so what about from more the business standpoint of things because now you know you're the ceo and founder of pongo so there's obviously a lot of business components to what you're dealing with. So what was one of the major takeaways from a business lens that you learned from Cedar Robotics? I think the biggest thing I knew was that I needed to meet the right people. I needed to meet more people, build the right relationships. And then two, I also learned a lot of sales skills. I think from being around my mentor who I mentioned earlier, he taught me a little bit how to sell, you know, how to like, you know, get how to build relationships with customers. And I think on that side, I just became a lot more confident. I think even losing weight honestly made me just a lot more confident as a person. I kind of knew that like, hey, like I think I didn't see I, at the beginning, you know, it was kind of a devastating thing like when I moved on from that. Um, it took me like a lot to go. But I think eventually what I realized was like, hey, like this wasn't a failure because I didn't try or because, you know, like I didn't have the skill. Just, I just kind of picked something that was like not the right thing at this time. It just made the wrong bet. It was just, you know, I bet money on something. Just, you know, it's like you bet money in a game just doesn't turn out how you think. I think a lot of time there is like, or some amount of things. So I think I kind of realized, okay, like, hey, like, I need to figure out technology that's ready now. Like, I need to be like, whatever product I do next, I have the sales skills to go out and sell it. Um, or whatever I do next, like, it just, I need to figure out something that's, like, at the bottom of, like, it's about to go up and to the right. So I need to find, like, you know, markets that are growing really fast where I can build something really quickly and get feedback from customers and kind of go through the iteration process quicker. Yeah, so what made it, after you were done with Cedar Robotics, what made you want to go back onto the traditional path of like going to a university? Was that also just the fact that here's this central hub of really other smart people to meet? Like what made you just not want to build something else? Oh, I was definitely building, you know, I think because it was the COVID year and I was doing college online, like I was- But what made you even want to go to college after doing that from 16 to 18? Why not just keep building? Like, what made you want to go to college? You know, I think it's a good point. I think I'll I'll be honest. I just I, I know what I was doing. I was kind of lost, right? So I kind of felt like, all right, I might as well go do this. Like, I'll be honest. I went to college. I kind of fully expected I was not going to spend all four years there. But I figured, like, you know, I, I, it's good you know, buffer period. It's just a buffer period. Like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Might as well might as well go. Like, you know, like I was going in state or anything. It wasn't like paying crazy amount. 
and you know, it was, it was COVID, so I was figuring like, all right, I might as well, like, you know, if I do want to be an engineer, maybe I'm like, you know, part of me thought maybe someday I'll go into research or something. Like, I'm like, it's like, you know, maybe I had no idea what I was going to do. Yeah, you didn't know. So I figured like, all right, might as well do this. Like, but I, you know, I definitely had a plan. Like, you know, like if I spend explain the degree, like get a computer science degree, like you know, I could get X kind of job. So I definitely knew like what I was getting into financially. It just I felt like you know, it felt, you know, and everybody else kind of around me was doing it, which never a great reason, but that's kind of what it came down to. Yeah, I mean, you're young. Yeah, you know, you're still young. So when you see that going on, you're like, hey, this is what everybody else is doing. I don't know what the fuck I want to do. There's like a million different things I could do. I just did all this this venture where I learned a bunch. Where hey, let me just decompress a little bit. Let me work on myself. And once I've built myself back up and got my confidence levels, the universe will show me what direction to take. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I just kind of just kind of felt like a stopgap until I figured out what was next. I think you know. Yeah, I would definitely was open. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs like I'm gonna say they're unemployable. I think for me that's definitely not the case. I think you know like, you know, had the options of Pongo not come around, I think I definitely you know probably would have still been working at Enderal or software engineers. I would have been open to working at a software engineer like a really interesting company where I got to work on interesting problems. I didn't have a ton of interest in big tech per se. I think you know I think that their era of growth was you know on the engineering side is definitely like you know kind of past like its prime. Um, you know, definitely I think there are elaborate ways. more on that because I feel like a lot of people who may be listening to that. They're like, wait, what did he mean by that? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at, like, I think the best case of this, if you look at the last Amazon kind of shareholder letter, um, every shareholder letter since 1994 has either Jeff Bezos or, I guess, Andy Jassy now said it's day one at Amazon. And this year was the first time they no longer said that. And a lot of things they're doing, you can kind of tell, it's starting to become more of, like, a So you think company. day two, maybe? Yeah, maybe they're day two now, which is, you know, day, day two is different than day one. Day one is like, hey, we're building a lot of things, we're trying to, like, we're trying crazy shit for a long time. Amazon had this huge R&D budget, right? They like, they tried Alexa, they tried all this shit that didn't work, right? And yeah, I think it's time, they're kind of starting to like, okay, it's time for us to become like, you know, GM or like, you know, Heinz coming. They're, they're, they're eventually going to be no different than IBM. I think they're on that kind of arc as a company where, you know, they're kind of past like that innovation phase. It's more of like, you know, like we're now on like Wall Street as our boss. You know, Jeff Bezos is gone. So it's kind of like, you know, a lot of MBAs in there. Like, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's just like where they are as a company. But that's not where, you know, I think a lot of the alpha is going to be in the next tool, next generation of tooling and stuff. Like, Amazon is not going to make the next, like, you know, the next Amazon. They're not, because, they, you know, it's like IBM was, was you know, superseded by Apple, right? And eventually Apple may, will probably be superseded by some company. You know, it seems crazy to even think about with, like, their technology. $3 trillion? It seems impossible, you know. I think they are Goliath. But I think, you know, there's probably some guy in the garage out there you know, we don't know where there's there's some group of guys in the garage and they're building something that, you know, we can't even wrap our heads around. Like, or maybe we think it's like a laughable technology today, right? But, you know, that will eventually be the next Apple. I think, you know, that's just, it's kind of like a circle of life. There's a circle of life for companies, right? Like, nobody stays on top forever. That, that is a good point. The only reason why I'm kind of like cocking my head a little bit is because with the Apple Vision Pro and you kind of just look at what the long-term vision of that could be, you know, we got contact lens where it's like, there may be companies that get big, but if they have a chokehold around reality and they're quite literally in your eye, you know, it might be yeah. hard to kind of, you know, I think, that. you know, I, I'll be honest. So I'm actually really skeptical on a lot of like wearables. Um, you know, I think Apple Vision Pro even, I think even VR, AR in general, I think there's a lot of challenges. So this is just a technical standpoint. You have two like 8K screens on there and you have to power that for like, you know, if it's an AR display, it's always on. So you're looking at, you know, maybe 18 hours of battery life for an 8K screen. That The battery technology to make that feasible just doesn't exist. Like, even with, like, um, graphene batteries, which is, like, supposed to be a huge breakthrough, that's just not possible. Um, 
you know, I think that there's a lot of technical things that have to be invented for that to be possible. And, you know, who's to say, like, some guy, some crazy actor's run doesn't, if they build that technology, you know, it doesn't matter how much of a chokehold Apple has around the supply chain right now, if they don't have access to that technology, they can't make that a reality. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of things that have to go right for AR and VR to be mass adopted. I think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a lot of things that have niche use cases. Kind of like computers in the early day, they were just calculators. Like, gaming, in ga- they were good for video games, right? Like, you know, you know, even computers, right? They really didn't like affect society the way that they do today until the internet. So there may even be an, like some kind of like technology after VR era that even makes it like extremely useful. So, you know, I think it's just too hard to really predict the future. I think a lot of times, like, I think a lot of times, I think one good exercise of trying to build something that um, I've done more and more of is think about the things that are not going to change in the next like 20 years. I think for Amazon, Jeff Bezos talks about like people are going to want low prices in 20 years, right? So we can build around that. And the question is like, okay, what technology can we use to make that possible? But, you know, I think that, you know, there's still a lot of like, Apple definitely doesn't have a chokehold to figure as much as people think. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, you've always been somebody to, when you have incomplete information, you're always able to still make bets and put money on the table. You know what I mean? If we're playing poker, you're looking around, you're reading the room. You know, Caleb, he may be throwing money in that pot still. Mm-hmm. So if you were to see Apple also at the poker table, you know, and they go all in on this AR, VR, like, do you, if just from a gut standpoint, I know there's still so much more to know and to learn, but like, what's kind of your gut reaction instinct to like, do you think it's going to be a hit or do you think it might be a flop? You know, kind of I like the metaverse. And also, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on the metaverse too. Yeah. So I'll just say this. My personality wise, even though like, you know, I am like super technical and all this, right? Like, you know, I actually, I love doing stuff in real life. Like I don't like spending time in front of a computer unless I'm building something or like, you know, I'm doing, I'm just doing work. Like I don't, I don't play video games, which is kind of weird. A lot of people think like, you know, tech people like love game. I just, I just don't do it. So I never really saw the appeal of the metaverse. I think during COVID maybe it was kind of interesting because we were all locked at home. But I don't know. I just don't see, you know, people sitting in front of a screen for eight hours a day. Putting a screen on their thing for like eight hours a day when, you know, like, you know, I think they could just, you know, use their phone. Like, again, I still need to, a big question I have is like, what are things I can do in the metaverse that I can't just do on my phone right now? Because the thing, the, the thing that's great about a phone, right, it's like you and me are sitting here like we can put our phones away. Like we can just like, or we're out somewhere, we can still like, our phone is kind of, it's there when you need it and you can put it away really easily. You don't need just put it in your pocket, right? Like that's a huge amount of utility of the phone, but it's got all my information and stuff, right? With AR, it's always there. With a headset, it's like so obtrusive, right? Like Google Glass even, like that was an early attempt. I think just like, it looks stupid. Like, let's be honest. Like if you walk into a, like a restaurant or a bar wearing that, like people are going to be like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think that is something that like, you know, like you, but you can carry, you, like, you know, we, we got an iPhone, like you could, you pulled it out of your pocket and showed it to people, right? But Let's say you were at like, you know, like maybe if, you know, if you could, you had the option to put it away, which is something I think that like, you know, we, it just seems so simple, but I think it's something that's going to stop like mass adoption from VR, AR. Got it. Okay. So to use kind of a similar framework that you laid out where you say, Hey, when we're going to build a product, we're going to do a new idea. Let's talk about what's still going to be around 20 years from now. What's not going to change. Right. And so. Would you say in 20 years, cell phones will still be important? I mean, for now, I think so. I think so. I think, you know, there's been a lot of like things like wearables were the next generation back, like, you know, like 2016, 17 and so on. Like everyone thought, you know, 
and again, wearables, it's just it's just not as much utility as the phone. I think, I think like you know, like the the laptop, like uh, what do you call it? Uh, tablet. Say, yeah, tablet. I guess the laptop or like even the computer, like that form factor, right? That's been around since the '80s, right? People still use like laptops, desktop computers because it's just the best way to get certain tasks done, right? Like your phone is the best way to get like if you want a device to communicate with people, the phone is simply the best form factor, right? Like we can sit and maybe think like maybe Neuralink would be more effective. You just think it, but then there's the whole thing. Like I have to like get surgery to use this. I, you know, like if, again, there's maybe there's sometimes like, I just want to leave my phone at home, right? Like I can do that. Like again, the fact that it's optional, like, even though we are glued to our phones, like there are still times we don't want like a phone glued to our face. Like we put our, like, you know, if you're at a funeral, you put your phone in your pocket, right? Like, can you imagine, like, just think of this, imagine you're at a funeral and like, everyone's got like a VR headset. It just seems, <laughs> it just seems laughable to think about. Right. And we have to remember, like it's eerie. Yeah, and we remember, like a lot of times. This is something I think where tech people kind of think, like this technology is so cool, everyone's going to use it. But you know, if you lose sight of how real people like behave, like you know, that's a lot of times what stops all these products from getting adopted. Like again, like I think there will be use cases of VR, and AR, but I just don't think it's going to be the same magnitude that like the cell phone and the internet and the mobile revolution was. Would you get the chip? Never. 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 If Elon, if you were rubbing shoulders in the same room and he was like, "Hey, Caleb." I've heard your story, dude. You're killing it. Honestly, hey, can you come in this room for a second? And you're like, whoa, what the hell? And it's just you and him. He's like, you want something to drink? He pours you a drink. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, he's yeah. kind of lubing you up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah. you're drinking. He's making a couple jokes here and there. You're laughing. You're actually kind of vibing with him a little bit. And he's like, all right, Caleb, I'm just gonna cut the bullshit here. I have the chip in my head. Don't yeah. don't tell anybody. I got the chip. And dude, it is fucking insane. And the only reason why I'm telling you this is because, like, I want you to have the chip. Yeah, I. so I'll put it this way. I don't even wear, like, an Apple Watch. I just, part of me, like, I think, like, the issue I think that is bigger is we have information overload. And I'm an information junkie, too. So it's just, like, I remember during COVID when I, like, after, like, there were, there were days I scrolled Twitter for, like, from, like, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I realized one day I did this. I just scrolled Twitter for, like, 12 hours straight because there's always new information. There's always new stuff. A big challenge we have is information overload. I think actually like, you know, less info a lot of times is better now these days. Like you don't want to have every piece of information because you're going to spend so much time with that info. It's going to drive you nuts. You're, you know, never going to make a decision. Right. It's like the cheesecake factory versus going to In-N-Out. Exactly. Here's the burgers. Here's the fries. Yep. Here's some shakes. Yep. And you just got to go with it sometimes. And I think that, you know, for me, like, I think that technology should augment our lives. It should not be, it shouldn't be our lives. Like, again, like, I think... My phone, like the app I use most is the texting, like iMessage. That's what I use. I, I use like messaging and email. Like if I had a phone messaging and email, like that would be totally fine probably for like some time. Like, you know, like Instagram, like what are the apps that we actually use on our phone? It's apps that in my opinion, like connect us with other people. Because you know, like, you know, I'm not a gamer, so I guess there is that whole part of the, you know, that whole like part of computing and stuff. But like for the most part, it's like, you know, on the consumer side, it's like how do we connect people like, you know, connect people? Like, so again, I always think about, you know, VR, like, you know, is the experience I get like chatting with someone on Discord or like, you know, sending them an iMessage, how much better, do I really want to be on like, even if I'm on a phone call, like, do I need to see like a VR figure of them get the same kind of thing? No, like that can only happen in person. Like VR, like maybe someday, this is maybe like a hundred or something, we have such good technology, like it seemed like you're really there and it's like you non but I think like, you know, in our lifetime, I think that, you know, we'll see the phone stick around. I think it's here to stay. And again, until, you know, maybe I just don't have the vision to see some kind of new technology or some form factor that's going to take it past it. But for now, it seems like the phone is going to be the way. Got it. Okay. So if you, in that room with Elon, 
and he said, hey, Caleb, I want you to eat at the chip. Like, what would you say to him then? No, because, I mean, here's the thing. I don't want, like, one, I don't think, I just don't think, like, I would never put, like, a piece of technology like that like implanting it's crazy like imagine let's just put it this way like you know like i understand our phone trackers all the time but like i feel like i could leave my phone at home well let's just say you know what i just want to unplug for like an hour and what if he looks at you and was like hey you can do that too like yeah i do let me be honest one side i think there's a joke so uh tech enthusiasts own their entire home is their entire home has got smart stuff right smart bulbs smart toaster all that shit right um a tech worker they will have two pieces of technology their laptop and a printer and a gun to shoot the printer starts making weird noises. Yeah. Because, you know, I can't even imagine this. I mean, the security, like we do, so like, you know, we sell a lot, our new product, we sell a lot to a lot of companies, right? There's like SOC 2 compliance, all these different security standards, right? CJS. Yeah, exactly. There's all this security stuff. And that's for stuff like, a lot of the information is not even that sensitive, if we're being honest, right? Like, you know, it's, it's poor to have security, but again, like, you know, like, it's not going to start like a nuclear war, right? Can you imagine someone have, being able to like access everyone's brain? Like, that seems like a recipe for disaster. Like, you know, like, again, like, I'm not a huge fan of even government regulation. I think with AI, we're seeing a lot of this where there's a lot of, like, people, you know, trying to do, like, a regulatory capture of it. And they're trying to, like, fear monger so they can, like, stop people from, like, stop competition. But I think like, this is a case where it's, like, there's a real thing. Like, if, if somebody can hack into this network and control everyone's brain, like, that's a problem. That's a major problem. Yeah. That, that is definitely a major problem. So if if I'm Elon and I, and I say that to you, you're pretty much just saying. No. No way. Never. Next question. Like, yeah. You're like, hey, but can we get another drink? Yeah. Yeah. Who's that girl out there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Can I get the fuck out of this room? You're starting to get really close to me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Like. Okay. So I like how you said that still within the next 20 years, you believe cell phones are going to be around. Yeah. Okay. And so, and part of the reason why is like you said, for you. You're like, hey, well, how do people interact with some of the most popular apps in the world? It's because it's connecting them to people. You're using iMessage and you're using email. So part of the reason why you really love your phone is because it's connecting you to the world. Right? Yeah, pretty much. And so would you say – and I, I totally agree with you where when we look at like something like the Apple Vision Pro where it's really the tech enthusiasts that are super excited about that. And then they project that onto the world saying everyone's going to do it. But like you said, it's just so big and clunky. It looks kind of yeah. ridiculous. If everyone's in a funeral, like your example, that's weird and it feels like a Black Mirror episode. But if we start to kind of look, you know, years and years into the future, who's to say that the phone will be completely obsolete because everything that you would do with your phone is through a contact lens. And like you said, you want to have the ability to disconnect where it's like you can yeah. just take that lens off and now you got the contact lens, you know, in your pocket. Yeah. No, I actually agree. I think that definitely someday that that would be the next form factor. I think the reason why I wouldn't make any bets on it today is just, you know, thinking about the pieces of technology you need to like make that possible, right? You need some kind of clear device, first of all, that would still have to have a very powerful chip, high resolution screen. And then the biggest challenge is just getting a battery in there. Um, this even with like drones and quadcopters, one of the biggest challenges, like, you know, um, is just the battery battery technology is actually, you know, just one of the biggest bottlenecks to a lot of this stuff happening and just energy in general, but you know, batteries. So, you know, like there was a lot of research on like graphene batteries and stuff like this, and, you know, solid slate batteries that have made improvements. But I think just a lot of that is going to come down to like, do we have battery technology and like, you know, the, do we, can we make computers small to fit on something that that small? Right. Cause like, you know, if you took, if you took the parts of the iPhone to try and turn it a contact, it's just not physically possible with the technology of today. Um, there are things like quantum computers that actually could unlock that. 
Um, just one thing is like, you know, one issue you're running to now is like the size of a transistor is getting to, it's almost as small as the size of an atom. So you can't make it any smaller, just physically. You're hitting the walls, the, you know, the laws of physics. And like, again, I'm not like super like well-versed, but quantum computers actually can be smaller. I think it can be the size of like a quark or something. I'm, again, this is just what I remember. But, and they have this ability to be like, um, you know, computers use binary zero or one. They have this ability to do both states at the same time. So they can compute things at like an order of magnitude faster and much more efficiently. So, you know, for that kind of form factor to be possible, you probably would need like, both a breakthrough in battery technology and this breakthrough in like, you know, in computation, which, you know, and there's probably even more stuff I'm not even thinking about. So I do agree that that form factor will, if it would have existed today, would be better than the phone and it would have the same benefits. I think it's, I just think it's so far from today. Like we're just dead. We're multiple scientific breakthroughs away. Like I think it's almost equivalent to someone like sitting around, like maybe like after the light bulb was invented or maybe after the first, like, you know, computers in the 1940s talking about the iPhone, right? Like, we were just a few. We're just a few innovation cycles away from that being possible. God. Okay. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying, "Hey, if we continue on the rate of innovation, eventually this will be inevitable." But if you're asking for upfront investment from me right now, you're just saying, "Hey, dude, there's way too many breakthroughs that need to happen. Way too much time for this to even be a feasible thought." Like. I understand where you're going from, but it sounds like you're saying it's just kind of too far into the realm of hypotheticals yeah, for yeah. it to be kind of like tangibly real. Yeah, again, we could be 20 years away from that. We could be 50. We could be 200, right? Like, you know, like it's just all about like, you know, do the scientists and researchers, can they figure out some of these problems? And then like from there, people can come in and commercialize it. I think like, you know, again, like I think one thing AI could accelerate a lot of this. I think this is something that, you know, like I actually am interested to see over the next few years. I think um, <clears throat> AI is like, a huge accelerant for like getting stuff done, like in our world, like you know, the more like, um, you know, where we're taking technology and just kind of commercializing it. Cause like a lot of the stuff that already exists and just can like, we can like code like 10 times faster now with AI, right? Like maybe there are, maybe this like, you know, maybe like my time horizon is thinking the like the pre like AI world. But again, like, I think like, you know, from like, I still think that like, you know, like if I was starting a company today, I would start it around the, around the idea that people are going to interact with computer devices through their laptop and through their phone. I would still like really go through those two form factors. Got it. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And so before we kind of pivot back to, you know, Pongo and how that came to be, I'm just kind of curious now that we're on the topic, like what do you think is a major technological breakthrough that we're kind of pretty close to experiencing that not a lot of people are talking about? Because you live yeah. in the realm of technology. You know, this is tough. I definitely am in deep with LLMs, our current company. I think we all like have seen ChatGPT, and, you know, the magic of that. Um, you know, I think that database technology to store these new technologies. Uh, I was talking to a friend. I think there's, so there's this database called SQLite, kind of, it's kind of this like file-based database. And I think that when you saw me about this new kind of, in, in, this new kind of paradigm that can use to like make that a lot more efficient. Um, that's one thing that's really exciting just for data storage. And I think on the, you know, there's a lot of um, work on these things called vector databases that store data in a format that's really good for AI to go and, uh, what do you call it? search through you can it's basically it's an ai search which is like just like string matching where you match the words up uh, i think that technology is still pretty early i think that you know the way we search for information can be made a lot more efficient a lot better um that's definitely something i think that you know with llms uh, has been overshadowed um that that's that's kind of a lot of technology we use at our company um you know if i were to take like a random bet i think something just totally off the wall i think uh fusion technology i think uh, this is another thing sam altman's been working on I think companies called, I forget the name of the company, but he, they 
recently had a breakthrough where they were able to, I think, actually do some basic nuclear fusion in a reactor. And that can really change the game on energy, which, again, would like totally change the way we think about a lot of problems like climate change and all kinds of stuff like that. Interesting. Okay. What would you say from more like a consumer standpoint? Like some technology that you're like, this is just going to change the way everyday people live their lives. Because the way, like what we're talking about is also super interesting, but that's more for people that are in the world that you live in of technology. And that's only going to greatly make, you know, drive efficiencies in that world. But for somebody, you know, the average Joe walking down the road and you're going to be like, hey, like what's something that you think you would kind of take a bet on that's going to change just like everyday people? You know, on the consumer, the consumer side is so tricky. I think there's a saying, um, you know, B2B, business to business is an art, is a science. Uh, consumer is an art. You know, I think on the consumer side, I, I'll be honest, I have no idea. I think if I knew like what the next big consumer thing would be, I'd probably go and build it myself. I'd, <laughs> I'd drop because, you know, like the biggest tech companies are consumer face, Google, Facebook, Apple. They're, they all, they sell to consumers mainly, right? Like. Consumer is one of those things like if you get it right, you're going to make like just you know an infinite amount of money. But it's just so hard to get right, right? That like going down that path, you know, I think I still I think I'm interested with the AI content. I think a lot of content we're going to see is going to be AI generated um, as it gets better. I think a lot of music will be AI generated too. Um, yeah, have you heard some of the AI Drake songs? Yeah, like that stuff's great. Um, it's pretty fire. Yeah, in fact, we at like Techstar just had a panel about like, you know, the, you know, the legal the legality about AI music and stuff. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like some musician out there who's maybe got like, you know, maybe like a few hours of good samples and he can just put out like thousands of hours of music, right? And again, a lot of it's like a numbers game, right? Like you just keep putting out good music, eventually you get a banger, right? And then once you know that, you can like kind of refine it around that style. Like we will see, I think AI generated content something that like, you know, um, it won't really change how we live our lives per se, but it'll just be something that, you know, like will change versus like how it was the last few years. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I love just kind of picking your brain about that because these are just such interesting things to think about that I think not a lot of times are these ideas and thoughts wrestling through everybody's minds, you know. So to have the opportunity here uh, to hear you speak on these things, I, I know a lot of people are kind of having the the hamster wheel of their brain turning a little bit. So pivoting back to the original conversation of Pongo. You know, we last left off of you applying for Y Combinator and you're like, hey, I've applied to them before. And then it got to the point where you got the interview and you felt like there may have been some misunderstandings in the vision or just some kind of iffiness. And so continue from there. Yeah. So I think one thing that I kind of learned through this whole process, a lot of times early stage investing, they just make a bet on the team and that the team is going to figure something out. They're not they're, you know, They're not going to give up. They're just, you know, they have the skill set to make something possible. And, you know, I think when I was 16, just Y Combinator didn't believe that I could, I had the skill. And they're probably right. I didn't have the skill at age 16. You know, again, I had to, I had to go through that process to get to where I am today. But, yeah, I think at age 20, they probably, you know, when I was like 19 at the time. They probably thought, okay, maybe, yeah, he's probably, you know, he could be ready now. I think a lot of, even like, you know, we did raise money, you know, from, you know, Sandery from Techstars. You know, a lot of things that they said was just like, you know, like, we don't know if you're even working on the right thing yet. A lot of it's just like, we believe in you. We know that, you know, you've been through some you've been through you got some experience but you also are still young enough that like you know you can you know you can kind of stay lean make stuff happen on your own and you're just hungry for it so i think you know um you know but again back to the story you know i interviewed for y combinator we ended up getting rejected after pulling that all night to get the product ship to show them um but then yeah through like uh the UW Star club dub hacks uh, ended up meeting um probably the biggest like pre-seed or like just like angel stage investor here in seattle kirby winfield um crazy guy just like you know he'd started his own company like he'd been 
he had IPO the company when he was 24, made a shit ton of money. Just a super cool guy. You know, other guy just constantly giving, doing all kinds of great stuff for the community too. And, you know, he just really believed in me. I think in a lot of it's like, I was not like some, like, I was not some super genius, like that he gave me money because he saw like, you know, like I invented something new. He just really believed that, you know, I was going to, you were hungry. Um, yeah, that I was hungry. He just, you know, I told, told him the story about the robot. I just refused, you know, refused to quit for like three years of my life, you know, on that, on that. And, you know, I just like, you know, he, and he's like, and he took a bet on me. Like, I will be, even tech stars, I think I'll be fully transparent. Like, I don't think there's like, it was like, because I was, you know, I was like a special, like, you know, high IQ person. They just kind of, they believed in me. You know, I think a lot of that, I, I think a lot of times people, when they get successful, they, you know, they reach, they will, you know, say, well, it was all me. Like, you know, the Drake's on no help. It's all, I think it's the opposite, you know, for me. I think I would, I'm really surprised that people just like, you know, being willing to take bets on me, being willing to invest in me and give me opportunities. Yeah. So before even going into how you learned about Techstars, how did the idea of Pongo even come to be? Yeah. So basically what Pongo does now, you can think of us like when you, you know, when you email like a company for support or, you know, you just do a chat on the website, right? Like. Um, they use these probably software called Intercommerce Zendesk and they can use AI to respond to stuff based on like help articles and like public facing info, right? So what we do is like almost, you know, for most of the tickets that like fall through that, right? That's like, that's what the support staff is hired to do right now. They have to search through internal knowledge and kind of synthesize all this info. A lot of times like it's in like a million different spots. Um, so what we do is we kind of handle the rest of that. So we sit on top of Intercom and Zendesk and other like customer success platforms, customer service platforms. And we kind of will use AI to automatically write answers based on a company, based on customers like personal data that lives in their CRM and the company's internal data. And we'll draft an answer with AI that the agent can just copy and paste into, into, the, into the chat and respond to. So we can cut ticket resolution times, make the staff way more efficient. Um, and we kind of are definitely a co-pilot model. A lot of this is from the learnings of like working with autonomous systems. Um, in AI, actually right now, there's this paradigm of like, Autonomous agents versus co-pilots and I'm fully on the co-pilot side like um, just because of my experiences with you know the robot and for the know, people listening like define the two. Oh, yeah, yeah. so um, uh, Based on autonomous agents, you give it a task and you just leave it alone. It goes and does it and You get the end result, right? So in this case it'd be like, you know You would have you instead of having any humans at customer support doing customer service You would just have like it's all AI like you trust AI to make the call and what should be like sent to the customer, what should be written, what's private company info that you need to know that they don't need to know. You trust AI all the way through the stack, right? Um, co-pilots, on the other hand, it's like, they augment human uh, human ability, right? Um, so, you know, in this case, it's like, what we do is like, we try and give the people um, superpower so they can just be like 10 times more effective, right? So this way, you know, maybe instead of having a, a staff of like 100 people to do the same amount of labor, you just have 10 people doing this job and the other, and then you can service like 100x more people now. So I, just from my experience with the robot, knowing that like autonomous systems, they have a high failure rate. Like, and when they do fail, they can fail, your spectac- they can fail spectacularly. Um, so like in our use case, like, you know, like I definitely know that the copilot model is the way to go. And I think in AI, we're going to see this where, you know, they're gonna be, there's like a lot of companies are going to make bets on, you know, autonomous agents and they're going to run into these walls of like, well, shit, it's like, it's like 95% there, it's 99% there, but it'll never be good enough for them to deploy it. And the copilot companies, like what we're doing is like, they can just deploy from day one because they are always about the human in the loop. They're always about like, you know, you know, augmenting human ability, right? So they can get to market faster. They can start building revenue. They can start investing in new technologies. So, you know, um, that's definitely, I think, the paradigm of AI that we're kind of focused on. And that kind of our go-to-market is definitely on like customer, customer support and automating that job. 
So where did the idea even come from? Like, how did you know to work on this? So I'll be honest. This uh, we were actually doing something totally different. We applied to TechStars, raised money. So actually, okay, if you were doing totally, if you were doing something totally different for, for TechStars, what then made you go into TechStars? We really just needed mentorship. So again, I think being a young entrepreneur, I think you know, if you are listening to this and you are like you know under the age of thirty, you should definitely do an accelerator. Whether it's you know, obviously I love TechStars, but I have the other ones too. Um, just because you get this great network of mentors, advisors. And they do invest in your company. Like that's, and they're, you know, like I still, you know, talk almost like every week with like the Techstars team. Like, you know, so, and, and, you know, our first customer for like our product actually was someone we met through Techstars. Um, again, it's like that same thing we talked about. Like relationships are really important. They're the most valuable currency, right? Like, so for us, we just saw it as, as, you know, opportunity to build more relationships with the great people. So that's why we did Techstars in the first place. Um, when we went into Techstars, we were working on this like kind of creator e commerce slash engagement platform. It was kind of like SMS. Almost like a way for creators to text their fans. It was almost like, you know, email newsletters, but over text for like Gen Z kind of. Because like Gen Z uses text way more than email. I personally just, you know, I don't check out email newsletters. I just thought, you know, it'd be interesting to build. And it was a really fast growing market, right? The creator economy like we talked about. Um, we were working on that. We actually had like some pretty big creators on how to use that platform. Um, but I had just built like this search tool like for our own usage. Just, you know, just kind of, I just, it was actually good. It searched through our code originally too. Just to find stuff. Because like, you know, me and my co-founder, we kind of have opposite sleep schedules. It's a funny story. He wakes up at 5 a.m. I sleep at like 2, 3 a.m. most days. So I was like, we do async work, right? I didn't want to bug him when he was asleep. So it was pretty quick to spin up the, like, the bare bones. And how did you meet your co-founder? I met him on Discord. It's like, that, that's like a whole other story too. You met him on Discord? Okay, so I think in terms of the way my brain works of just the narrative, before even going through how you got to Techstars, getting the mentorship, like how the hell did you meet this guy on Discord? So... Jamari, my co-founder, you know, you know, he's, he's been, you know, just a joy to work with this guy. This guy's the best. Um, so he was going to school in the Midwest, a school called Rose Holman. And, you know, when I was doing all these internship interviews. I joined, like, this Discord for, like, kind of CS students, maybe CS nerds, to be honest. People just, you know, had a ton of interviews trying to flex on each other. <laughs> yeah. And also just trying to share stuff. Like, hey, I interviewed Google. Like, it's kind of what they, kind of stuff they're asking me. This is what, this is what the process was. It's kind of like a LinkedIn, but for the CS community. Because, you know, LinkedIn, a lot of it's like flex posts. Yeah, like, hey, yeah. I did this yeah, and yeah. I accomplished that. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And then also there was a the whole thing of like, hey, I'm interviewing like, you know, Palantir. Like, it's like they have a seven-round process. The recruiter gets back to you in like X amount of time. Just so you have kind of transparency of what's going on behind the scenes, right? So... You know, I was on that chat. I remember, like, there were just a lot of people. And this guy was, dude, he was, he, he was going crazy. I think he offers from Google, Asana, Sales, all these top companies. You know? And he was posting about it? Yes. You know, think everybody posts, like, what companies they got offers from. He was posting about it. It wasn't, like, it was, he wasn't being an asshole about it. He was being cool about it. Yeah. Um, well, that was what it was for, right? Yeah, it's how it was. It's all, we're all there. We're all there. It's not like he's coming out of nowhere no, and just no flexing on everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he was just a funny guy in the chat, too. I remember, and then, and then he just started talking, like, hey, like, you know. I, you know, like I'm turning down Google, like I definitely want to work on side projects, work on startups. I just thought he was a cool guy. I, just, I sent a message, some private message on Discord, like, hey, like, what's good, man? I saw you're doing really well. I got these interviews too coming up that you, you just got offers from, like, what can I expect? And then like, I just started talking about startups and just really vibe with him. You know, he was just like really into like learning and he was super curious about everything. And, you know, I didn't even know what his face looked like actually for like a good month of knowing him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. And were you guys talking? Yeah, we were talking. Eventually somebody's like LinkedIn and you kind of knew what he looked like. But, um, yeah, so from there, I just like, you know, I was like, hey, like, you know, I'm working on the startup. We actually had like, uh, it was like the old, the first version of Pong, it was like the side project I was working with two guys who aren't even with the company anymore. Um, 
you know, I'm like, I'm working on this project with some friends, just like kind of side project. Um, and what was that project? That was like the, the reviews thing for small businesses I was talking about. We're, oh, we're doing, gotcha. yeah, yeah. It was kind of that. And I'm like, hey, you want to work with us? Like, I know it's like remote, but everyone's doing remote during COVID, right? So I was like, yeah, we'll make it work, whatever. You seem like a cool guy. I just like, I feel like you'd be a cool guy. I, I just, and you know, we talked a few times on the phone. I was like, it's just a guy I like being around. He's a guy like, you know, he's like my roommate. Like, you know, it's, it's great. Like, you know, I, I don't think I can be a roommate with a lot of people. Like, he, that's definitely like something that's made this relationship work. So, you know, we ended up working together and then, you know, Basically, Pongo, the whole story happened where we end up raising money happens. And, like, you know, he was definitely, you know, like we had four people with him, including working on it. Like, you know, two of the guys, they were, didn't want to, they, they didn't have the risk, like, they didn't have the tolerance for risk that we had. So they ended up just, like, leaving, going back to, like, big tech and stuff like that, right? Uh, so, but he was, you know, he's the same guy. He's like me. Like, he's, like, he's about it. Like, he's a guy, like, he's, he's willing to, to bet. Risk. He's willing to bet. He's got, you know, massive nuts. He's willing to take those bets. And, you know, he's just a grinder, too. Like, this is a guy, he wakes up every day at 5 a.m., meditates works out like he's even way more disciplined than me like he he's a guy like if you're in a foxhole you want this guy next to you so you know i think it's nothing a chance right i mean i could i never would have met this guy in person but he was the guy who would have made who made makes pongo possible and you meet him on a discord server you join randomly so that's insane yeah it's an insane story and i always wow. think, yeah um we did talk to everybody never know who you're gonna meet yeah could be your co-founder could be like a new best friend could be your wife you never you got to talk to everybody yeah Wow. Okay. So you were saying that you were working on something that then later evolved to be like a key component of what Pongo was? Yeah, yeah. So basically, I built this internal search tool. So I said, Jamari wakes up at 5 a.m. He's got like a healthy lifestyle. I do not. I often, you know, I sleep like 2, 3 in the morning a lot of times. Just like, you know, I'm just a night owl. So, you know, I'd be working at async and, you know, he'd be asleep. And I like, I'm like, hey, where's this code? I just got, I just, I just kind of didn't, you know, I, I got tired of like manually switching to the files, right? On GitHub and stuff and like our three like documents and stuff. So, I kind of built a quick way to just kind of search through our stuff with vector search, which is this new kind of search technology that can, it doesn't need a keyword match. It just needs to know two words are kind of similar using AI. So it's able to plot them in space and kind of, and it's really effective for all kinds of stuff. So I put together a very just like hacky thing. It was just for our own usage, right? And I just put that together. And I was just kind of using it internally. And then, you know, one day, I think after like, we were just kind of, I was just showing this as one of our mentors from Techstars. And he had actually just left like to start an, to do an AI company as well. And he was just kind of telling me like, hey, like, you know, I was around when the, when, you know, the internet was, was coming. Like, this is going to be bigger than that, the AI revolution. From the business, on the, for businesses and stuff, like, this is going to be a magnitude order bigger. Like, you know, I know you guys are working on this texting thing, but, you know, I don't know, like, if it's got the same potential of, like, you know, what AI is. Like, you definitely take a hard look at what you're doing. Like, and I just showed him, and, you know, we're having this discussion. I just showed him the thing. He's like, oh, well, shit, you should, like, you should do this. And I ended up, like, demoing it, like, this AI hackathon um, the next, the next, uh, next week. It was like this AI tinkerers thing in Seattle. Um, you know, it was a pretty good reception. Obviously, it wasn't like a full product yet. But from there, this is where the Techstars network was super useful. And even like, uh, through Kirby's network was really useful. We just were able to ping like engineering managers, product people, support people. And kind of forgot like, hey, like this universal search tool, like synthesizer, right? What, would this, what could this be used for? So we started with this new technology we had, right? What kind of work could this be used? And we kind of found from like just talking to a ton of people, like customer support, like answering those questions where, where the biggest pain point was. So yeah, again, it was totally random. Like you know, like definitely, did, we didn't start this company like thinking that like, hey, like we we're gonna do AI customer like customer service. We thought we we had a totally different idea. Wow, that's it's so cool because I feel like a lot of times people when they see the company, they're like, oh, that's what they always thought. Yeah, there's a lot of pivoting that goes on. So like, how did you even learn about TechStars and just like the accelerator world? I know you had already known about Y Combinator, and so who made the decision of like. Hey, here's Techstars. Let's apply. Like, who made that initiative? There? Yeah. So you know, I so I got to meet uh, Carson when I was doing the startup club. He spoke to them, 
And, you know, I think once we had raised that first batch of money from, like, Kirby and the other angels, um, I, I, you know, I, my mind just wasn't on, like, raising our incubators. I was kind of like, you know, I just, like, didn't have a lot of bandwidth for it. We were just doing product, customers, all that stuff. We were just kind of caught up. So I didn't, never did the application. But, um, you know, one day I was talking to Kirby. It's kind of what we were doing. We were kind of mid-pivot and stuff. We were just kind of, we were just kind of like, you know, it was, it was kind of a tough time we're going through. And Kirby's like, hey, like, you know, maybe you guys should, you guys should probably do tech stars. It'd be good to, like, meet people. It's almost like, you know, I, would, I, I like to equate it to, like, startup college, right? Like, you get to learn, like, you get a degree in startups at the end of tech stars. Like, you, it's, you get to learn how to do a lot of stuff. He's like, I think it'd be good for you guys, like you know, to help on go to market side, you meet the right, meet the right people. And, you know, they've had a great, they've had, they've got a really good hit rate. I think ninety percent of the companies that go through TechStars are either exited successfully or operating still. So really high hit rate. He's like, yeah, I think you guys should do this. And this is like two weeks before the program, or three weeks before the program starts. So applications are closed, well past any deadlines. But he's going to a dinner with like um, the old, the, the, it's like a farewell dinner for the managing director who was leaving before uh, Mari's current one, and. He says like, yeah, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna meet with them today. Like, maybe I should look at it. So I'm like, all right, let's. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then about at like I think 11 p.m. that night, he's like, hey, just got back from dinner with uh, Isaac, the old MD. Um, and he said, he's like, hey, it starts like in three weeks, but they they do, are interested in you guys. If you apply tonight, they'll take a look. So you know, 11 p.m. This is 1 a.m. for Jabari. I have I I have this. We got this thing. We have this protocol set where it's like you know, if you call three times, it'll ring no matter what. D and D, like it'll ring. So. I go, hey, full fire alarm of our fake, wake this guy up like one in the morning. I'm like, hey, we got to do this. So we go fill out the application, film a video, all this stuff, what we're doing. And, you know, it was good enough. The tech stars, you know, the tech stars like, all right, let's take a look at these guys. Like, you know, Kirby, we watched them. And they're like, all right, let's do it. So we have our first interview the next day. goes well. Um, and then we have an interview with the full team, full like hour and a half. I met Jake for the first time. Um, what was the interview like? They were really just, I think the big thing they were looking at, like, do you have like at least skills that like, you know, they they really didn't believe in the that tech creator platform we were working on a ton, um, I think they. But again, the thing the way we went about doing that though, right? We talked to a lot of customers. We got a lot of big creators like to even get on the phone with us, right? We had, we had done all this like, we set up like this. So to even get a lot of big creators on, we set up like this fake blog basically. We offered to write news articles about them, like right? provide value, right? And we get them on the we get to build a relationship, and then we ask them like try our product out after, right? And you know the product just wasn't like you know it wasn't a new, something they needed, but. We had basically done a lot of work on that, and we were able to, and we had we didn't we had the technical skill to build basically anything we needed to, right? So they kind of felt like, hey, like they have like a lot of good like sales instincts, soft skills there, and they have like the technical chops to go build anything, right? They probably just need some guidance. So like they really are the people who benefit from TechStars the most, and you know just they they're young, they don't really a big network yet, so the network would be really valuable. So they you know a lot of it just came down to stuff like that, like you know like what are you doing to validate with customers, like how did you know how how long are your like feedback cycles, like how long if you get feedback on customer, how can you go build that feature, right? So that that was enough to impress them. And, you know, I think they also were, you know, they were, they knew that I'd done, like, been doing this for some time, like startups and business and stuff. So they kind of knew, like, hey, like, you know, I was definitely in it. Like, I was not, like, just some college kid with an idea. And we'd already dropped out of college at this time. So we were, they knew we were all in, which was a huge thing. They were, like, we weren't, like, one foot in, one foot out. Like, we were, like, we were going to make this happen. So, yeah, two weeks before the program, we get an offer. Um... You know, we, luckily, like, I was in Seattle. Jamari was, he was in the Midwest at the time. So he flew out to Seattle. We found an apartment. And then we just moved in, like, on two weeks' notice. We moved to Seattle and started doing Techstars. And it was, like, you know, a great decision. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's always amazing to see, like, the, the behind the scenes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you see, you see the play that happens right in front of you. But there's things that are happening behind the curtain. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, I think you look at LinkedIn or you look at Instagram, and it looks like this, like, it's a highlight reel, like, 
you know, there is a struggle a lot of times. Like, it doesn't matter, like, you know, like, I think, I think, and I think, I think one thing is, you know, I think we're seeing this, like, even, like, podcasts. Like, people want to see, like, authentic stuff. Like, we're so tired of just, like, you know, this, like, facade of, like, everything's perfect, right? And, you know, I think a lot of times, like, you know, it, it, it can take time to make stuff happen. Like, you know, a lot of great companies that took, like, you know, like, Slack started as a video game company. Um, oh, wow. And they pivoted. It was the, the chat that they built in the game actually became Slack. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brex, which is a huge, like, credit card company for startups, I think it's valued around, like, $10 billion right now. It started as, like, a VR company. Mm. And it was full. So, I mean, that's a messy process, though. Like, you know, like, we, you can look at it in hindsight and say, or, you know, Figma, they just sold for $20 billion to Adobe. Um, started as, like, they were, they, like, they pivoted to be a meme maker for some time. They were doing all kinds, they started, they, they tried drones, like, unrelated stuff. Like, you know, we look, you know, when, once you, when, when you make it, you look back and say, oh, yeah, it was all such a great process, right? But when you're actually in the shit, like, it fucking sucks. Like, you're like, oh, shit, we tried till it didn't work. Like, fuck. That, like, what are we going to do next? Like, what do we learn? Like, you really have to have a level of composure to, like, you know, be like, all right, don't panic. We're not going to die. Like, you know, we are financially okay. Like, we know what the next move is. Like, that's really the skill I think a lot of founders have. I think, um, you know, really just to not, you know, die when you fail. Yeah, when you get pushed to the ground, can you yep. get back up? Can you get back up? It's it's the Rocky story. Can you be Rocky? Exactly, exactly. And you're going against the Russian guy. It's Rocky Four. Yeah. And it's, it's like, holy fuck, that guy's big. He's strong. He yep. literally is made out of a Russian lab. Exactly. And that's who you're competing with. Exactly, exactly. I think you know. I think a lot of you people. I think even stars. I think a lot of people look at the competition like they, you know, every deck. It's like who are your competitors, right? The real competitor for any startup, really, if we're being honest, is like you. Is like the guy in your head telling you to quit. You know, you, startups never rarely get murdered. Like, you know, maybe sometimes you see like a late stage startup. Like, you can't even, like early stage companies. They they almost never get murdered, right? Unless maybe you work in like a buy now pay later thing, and like Apple kills it like a thing, right? But even then, you're really not dead. You can just always pivot. Yeah. You know, if you really, if you like, if you really want, if you maybe you had some something else adjacent to it that was interesting, you could pivot into, right? So you really are competing against the guy in your head telling you to quit. That's the real competitor. I think for almost anything, right? Like. You know, you're, you know, that's something that I think was like underrated with startups. I think Sam Altman said this, like, you know, he's a guy, he's, he's not an interesting story. Like he actually, his first company, they raised like $40 million and he failed. It was a, it was a big failure. Like they burned through a lot of investor money, you know, but he was able to build relationships and, you know, a lot of people still believed him. Right. So he was able to grow, raise a lot of money for OpenAI, And then they were able to go and, you know, spend like seven years, 2014 when the company started and they didn't release ChatGPT for seven years. So that, and you know, they didn't release GPT-3, which is the first like, you know, usable product they even had for like. Six years. So they were able to go six years without doing, like, releasing a product, you know, because they had the right people around them. They had the right people who believed in Sam. And Sam kind of had the composure to sit there for six years and let this brew. So I think a lot of times, you know, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of times that person who you're competing against, like you said, that person who's telling you no, a lot of times that's you. Yeah. Is the person within. So when you were going on this journey, I mean, I guess even today, are there ever times where you got doubts in your head? You know, I think I never doubt we're going to make the successful Pongo, you know, with this iteration of people. I think we just have the right people around us. Like, I just know, I think, I, I, I think with, um, you know, especially now, I think that I'm like kind of moved later. I think when I was in high school, we doing those first few stars, right? It was, it was, I really thought like, if that didn't work out, I was like going to be like screwed. Because I, again, I didn't like, I kind of felt like, you know, I didn't have, like, I wasn't doing really well at school or anything. I kind of given up on that. And, you know, I was just around a lot of people that were really just doubting me and doubting what I was doing. I think now it's like I just am around, like, people who really believe in me. And it kind of part of me knows that, like, hey, like, if this doesn't work, it's because I gave up. And it's like 
I just got to find like the right like way to make this work. I think, you know, I think I think now especially with you know with our new product, it's like we've seen just like one we just kind of we kind of just seen like you know reception from like our investors and even from our customers that like you know this is like the right thing to do. I think um, a lot of times like you know you just got to find that like one magic that one kind of magic potion. And you just got to keep trying shit till that works. I think with the light bulb is a good example. Like they tried like a million different conductors till they found the right one, right? Thomas Edison. And I think that, I think now at this stage of my life, I'm definitely aware of that. Versus earlier, I think definitely, you know, with Cedar, I definitely a lot of times felt like, you know, like, I just felt like this was like, I was, I was going to die if this didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a quote from, that you did and it was in reference to, a co- you know, you building a company and it was startup advice and you said something along the lines of being able to move as fast as possible. Oh yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I think, you know, I think the biggest thing you gotta do, I think depending on you know, is you gotta find if you your startup is based on a thesis, right? So, you know, maybe you have the thesis that hey, like creators want to text their fans. You gotta find the answer to that question as poss- as fast as possible. Um, you gotta figure out if you're right or wrong. It's less than, even if you get it wrong, that's okay. But if you spend three years getting it, and then you find out it's wrong after that, that's way worse than like three months. Um, so the biggest thing you gotta, you gotta have quick feedback cycles, right? Like incrementally figuring out like, am I on the right path? Do customers want this? Um, I think again, this is like with the uh, why we like why we tried to sell the robot before we built it, right? How do we validate this thing first, right? A lot of times, a lot of times for validation, like okay, what do you need to build a minimal marketable product, some kind of minimal viable product, like. How do you get that done as quickly as possible, right? You have to be really good at prioritizing work. Um, you know, I think speed is really important in like these micro cycles. Again, it doesn't have to be like, you know, you know, you, it doesn't have, it's not, not really necessarily per se like hours you even put in. A lot of times it's just like, are you able to like deduce what, what experiment you need to run to test your hypothesis? That's really the, the number one skill for like, you know, getting your startup going. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, fail fast. Yep, yep. Fail fast. And so I'm just kind of curious on the top of my head, like why Pongo? Like why is, why is that the name? So Pongo is a scientific name for orangutans. So I'm a huge fan of apes. Orangutans are my favorite animal too. I think they're just like, they're, you know, they're so, they're, so, they're so cool. Like Curious George, you know. They're very sweet. They're very sweet. I think so, you know, the, the great apes, you have gorillas, chimps, orangutans, and humans. Some people um, add gibbons in there. That's debatable. But, <laughs> you know, chimps are violent maniacs. They will rip your face off. They're, they're kept in cages for a reason. They are vicious. They will fuck you up. They will. Gorillas, they're cool. I mean, they're 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 they they can be dangerous. You know, I I say gorillas are my number two eight behind orangutans. Um, humans are in three. Sorry about that, people. What, what do you think gives the orangutan the edge in your opinion? They're they're just they're very intelligent. They actually they use tools and they're very calm. Like you could have it, you could have an orangutan just walking around here, and you'd be totally fine. I just think that you know, I think also they're orange, which is cool. I feel it's just like it's something interesting. It's just like. I just feel they're like really chill and you know, I think I just, you know, I was just like, I was watching a documentary about like orangutans and I just thought, you know, it was either going to, I just thought it'd be a cool name. So I kind of was looking up names and then, you know, Pongo, Pongo AI, that domain was not taken luckily. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it actually came down to, it was, it was either going to be that or like, I think cactus technologies. I'm a huge fan of cacti in general. I think they're so cool. Like, they don't need water. I'm like, I feel like it's like, you know, just like it's resilience and stuff. So. You know, that's just like, you know, it was, it was going to be one of those two. And then, you know, Cactus, that was taken by a lot of people. So I picked Pongo. Do you think coming up with a name, do you think that's hard? Do you think it's important? No. So Cedar Robotics, they're my, where I lived in, uh, I grew up on the east side of like uh, 
Seattle area and like Sammamish that area. There's my neighbor does a lot of cedar trees, so pick that name. I think you know, like I mean, name could be an Easter strike for yourself, maybe a cool story, like. But I think one thing I'll say names I tend to like like Slack or something. It doesn't really doesn't mean, it's not like work message or something, um, like Google, right? It's not like like smart search, right? But I mean, hey, like Facebook, it was like a Facebook online, right? So a lot of times, like, you know, you could pick like a generic name that can, that can give you kind of room to pivot or something. I think the GoPro guy once said like he wanted to call it Surfcam, but he called it GoPro instead, which was actually the best decision he ever made for the consumer side because you know, huge big tam, right? But definitely don't be spending money on a consultant to do a name or even a logo. Um, get that stuff out of the way as quickly as possible. That stuff's not going to really decide whether you fail or succeed. Yeah. And so how did you come up with the logo? So the current logo is just I have to go. After, like, after we pivoted, I changed the logo. Usually I just did a shape. I, I think I tried drawing a orangutan face once to make a logo. It looked horrible. So just I think right now it's a heptagon. No company took a heptagon. Heptagon's a seven-sided shape. Nobody took it. I figured it's a very simple shape. I feel like, you know, something really easy to draw in Figma, just kind of it's us, right? So just uh, something popped in my head, to be honest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times people can kind of get fixated on the name. Like, oh, it has to have a good name. But it sounds like where you're coming from, you're like, dude, that doesn't fucking matter. You have a thesis. Is what you're doing going to provide value? And the name and the logo, it seems like what you're kind of talking about, like that's just a placeholder and you can always pivot later. Yeah, so I think they should be definitely be like neutral, right? So I think they're like, they shouldn't like stop you from succeeding. Like you shouldn't call it like fart cam or some dumb shit like that or make <laughs> yeah. your logo like a middle finger, right? I mean, maybe if you try to be edgy, maybe middle finger logo would work. But again, like I think, I mean, there's chances like Liquid Death where like their whole thing, like the logo is like the company. But I mean, if you're doing like a software, like I might have been like software startup, like some kind of tech startup, right? Like that doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. What do you think about Liquid Death, by the way? Just since you brought it up, incredible. I think it's a it's a great it's a great example. I think a lot of people think like, oh, like I have no ideas. No, you don't have creativity. That's a real thing. You know, I think it's a genius idea. Well, you don't want you want to go to a party. You don't want to drink, but you don't want to like just have like a cup of water in your hand. Like, like this is it's a genius idea. I think it, it's really a testament. I think, and also I think we focus so much on competition, right? How many people are selling water? It's like it's the easiest thing to do. Right? It's a lot of water out there. There's, there's, it's like one of the easiest things you can do selling water, right? And they figure out a way to build like a billion dollar company around selling water. And it's, it's really a testament to like, hey, like execution, creativity, that's what decides your fate in business a lot of times. Yeah, and it comes back to what you said earlier where you said B2B is a science and B2C is the art. Yeah. I feel like what they did is really that art component. Yeah, for sure. Like I never could have thought of anything like that. I never, I, I don't even, I will never even try to make consumer apps or anything because I just don't, I don't have a good enough understanding of how people operate. Yeah, and I think that that in itself right there, I think puts you in a position to be a good entrepreneur is that you, just talking to you, you're very self-aware. You know what you're good at and I think a lot of times people don't really know what they're good at and they think that they can try a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But that that statement that you just said, we're like, hey, I don't really know how they operate fully, like, but I do know what I can do. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think I think a hundred. I think a lot of it comes from like just not trying enough stuff. I think you know, like, I think you. I think a lot of people you you shouldn't like say I can't do this off the bat. You should at least try it, right? I think with coding is a huge thing. I think I've met a lot of people. They're like, I can never code. I'm like, you ever tried? They're like, nah, it just seems complicated. I'm like, just try it. Like, I think you know, obviously there are some communities gatekeep a lot. I think. Call for people do gatekeep a good amount, like they make it seem harder than it actually is. 
Um, which That's a lot of industries, right? Like even yeah. finance, they're like, hey, I went to Harvard. You need to trust me. You can't understand these numbers. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like I like you, you can't manage your own money. Like you need a PhD, whatever. You need, you need to go to Harvard to do that, right? Like, you know, but I think a lot of times I think people – I think it actually ironically it comes out like a delusional like, like belief – Believe in myself. Like I believe that, like I can do anything, right? So you know, I, so I'll try anything, right? Like, you know, like I, I you know, I could. I, I think I always joke with some friends. I was telling some friends. I think I told them like, if I trained for like six months, I could make the Utah basketball team. And I, fir- <laughs> I firmly, I firmly believe it. Now, if I was in the gym every day, I, I, I'm not saying I'd be. I'd make the NBA or like I'd like even start. But I, I could give you five, seven minutes on the bed. I, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of delusional, right? So I think. He'll be a good role player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think I could literally, you know, get him on a technicality to be the water boy. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, if, like you know, like, but then that also comes back to like you have to have, you have to have this almost yin and yang, right? It's like you have to be delusional and like crazy self belief, but also understand like okay, like there are certain things that I was actually trying to do, like and be practical and realistic. Exactly. It's almost like I, you know, it's like the, that's that's a very good. There's a balance you to strike. It's really tough, you know, like. Uh, I said one of my friends is a founder. We always, always talk about it. there are times like we like will, you know, you close a deal or you do something, you make some milestone, you just go into this manic state where you're just like, I'm the greatest of all time, you know. I think just, he's the go exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're, you, it's, about, it's just it's this level of like self, just like you know, you just you know, you just think you're you know, you think you're the shit, and you know, honestly, you're just on, you're at a high point, you're gonna come back down, and you know, managing that and also managing the low points where you're just like, fuck, how am I even like functioning? I'm such a fucking moron. I should just give up. And I think being able to kind of just like stay okay through that wave is really important. I think one thing is like I definitely high, ride the – I still am able to kind of ride the highs of the startup. But I still – I'm not – I don't get as bogged down by the lows anymore. I think that's something that's taken a lot of work. Just, I think just been through being through a lot of stuff just gets you there. Yeah, where did this like overwhelming sense of confidence and belief come from? Like is this something that you always had? You know, I I think just part I, – I think a lot of it was natural, just like my personality. Like I think, you know, I grew up – like, you know, the area I grew up in was kind of the suburban, you know, like Tiger Mom area where everyone was like, what's cool you're going to? Like what grades are you getting? It was always super competitive, right? And just part of like, you know, I just was – I was never was great at school. I think, you know, like I probably have some kind of high-functioning ADHD or something where I just – you know, I just can't – I'm always like – even the way I talk on this podcast, it's very fast, like – yeah, I just wasn't super great at school, right? And I always felt like, you know, I always felt like, you know, people just thought less of me. Like, people thought like, you know, but a part of me knew like I could always build, I just knew that like I was as good as anybody and I could do anything. And I think a lot of my motivation, I think, you know, even till today is like just proving to people like, yeah, I, I, I can do this. Like, I am that guy. Like, I did achieve this. You know, I think that gave me a lot of motivation. I think just being, you know, in a super competitive environment. I think, I think back to self-awareness point, I think one thing I kind of knew like after like my freshman year of high school was like, I was probably not going to go to Harvard or something. I just was not going to have the grades. You know, I just didn't have like the will to, like I just wasn't that good at like schoolwork and like tests and stuff, right? Like I knew I could build stuff really well though. I knew like I had this really good ability to just build cool stuff. Like, I would show people stuff, but like how is it even possible? You know, a lot of times I was, able, so I kind of knew like I got I to gotta do something there and like play to that strength. And you know, so I, I had the self-worth to know that was what I was good at, but I also had the delusional ability to think like at 16, I was going to build like a robotics company. So that's really, I think that's really kind of the story of my life. So I think for a lot of people, I think you got to understand like, hey, maybe, figure out what you're good at, but then also be delusional. I think you could be the greatest of all time at that. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's a great piece of advice. So you're currently going through tech stars right now. 
How long is the like the program? When oh, so done? we just graduated from TechStars, February 2020. Um, actually, fun of the demo day was like two days after my 21st birthday. Oh, so you you've already been graduated? Yep, from Tech graduate TechStars. We're like alumni now for the last like I think what, was it six months now. So, um, yeah, just we've been we did the pivot after TechStars, which is actually wait. Funny. So you said February 2020 or February 2023? You graduated. Oh, okay. So just six months ago, yeah. So just six months ago, you graduated. Yeah. So what was like? The graduation process. We had a huge demo day. Um, it was really great. Had ton, all basically all the investors from Seattle came. All like basically all the important startup people. Tons of just different people got to meet. Um, How'd that go? It went really well. We made a lot of great connections. Uh, I think the biggest thing was just getting to like being it was kind of just starting those relationships. So again, like you know, like I was never gonna like you know we, we were in no position to fundraise at that point, but like I was able to build a lot of relationships, like meet a lot of people start that relationship. So like, you know, down the road, we do fundraise. Like we have an existing like relationship so we can go to them and be like, Hey, like we're raising a round or just not even like investors. Like, you know, a lot of like, you know, different like engineers, different like product people, sales people, like when you want to go hire talent, right? Like, you know, the best people to hire people in your network who you have a relationship with. Right. So it was really great to start building those relationships. So what's next for Pongo? So right now we're kind of doing a private beta of our product. Um, we have some companies we're working with. Um, you know, we got a wait list going to just um, rolling out very kind of rolling out kind of slowly. We have like, you know, it's definitely still raw. The product to be a lot of bugs. So just working really closely with a small group of customers, um, putting it on the wild, kind of making sure that it goes smoothly. Um, probably that'll be that they'll process the next couple months. And then after that, probably go out and scale this to more companies. So a lot of times people ask, hey, what are you going to do? What's your company going to look like within the five to 10 years? It's 2023, I think 2030, you know, it's just like a sexy number to think yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So where do you think Pongo is going to be in 2030? You know, I, right now I kind of see this as like, we're kind of like a layer between like the LLMs and the data. So you have data in all these different sources and then you have LLMs that can like leverage this data. Um, we're kind of like the layer that sits between, we're kind of the connective tissue between those two. So the go-to-market right now is with customer service, right? But there's, we can probably build all kinds of different applications on this. And I think the other big thing is really building, like, our platform with the idea that, like, hey, like, the way it works at LMs, it's going to be this co-pilot model. So, like, you know, I think a great example is, like, you know, uh, if we were to create, like, you know, let's say automation workflows, right? We would always design it with a human being in the loop. So, you know, again, I don't know, like, what specific product we'd be, probably be making in 2030, but it would probably be around the same core vision of, like, being that connective tissue. Got it. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to think about the future and to see yeah. where you're going to be. I'm just curious because with Cedar Technologies, you were working crazy hours. You had gained all this weight. You started to feel kind of like, you know, a little lost and, and kind of broken down a little bit. And you made this huge pivot into building yourself back up and, you know, focusing on your body and getting your health back. So how do you currently balance you know, working on a startup and just like your personal life. Um, I mean, I, I kind of don't, to be honest, like I still, so I'll be honest since, since like we started texting, I actually gained another 30 pounds back. So, you know, I love to that be a rosy story of like, I always took health tears again. Like, you know, there are times where, you know, like you're just gonna be logging on hours and you know, you're gonna have to sacrifice your health. Sometimes you don't have to make sacrifices. Like, you know, that program from like October to February where we were doing the program and I was doing the startup. I pretty much was just working all day, every day, you know, wasn't going out at all wasn't mean with anybody. There just was no bandwidth, right? Um, since program had a little more breathing room, uh, since our pivot too, you know, things have gone a lot smoother. So, you know, been able to, you know, I've been, you know, gotten back on a healthier diet, working out more, been, have spent more time with friends. So, but again, I think, I think there's like, you know, 
it's not like a balance per se. It's all harmony. I think sometimes you have like parts of your life where it's like, I just got to work every hour of every day to make this possible where, you know, you just have to accept that. And, you know, maybe like it's the week of Coachella and all your friends are going and you can't go, but that's sacrifice you have to make. And there's other times where, Hey, maybe it's, but you know, there are, and that doesn't, you don't have to be like that all the time. That's one thing I realized. Like I don't have to work every hour of every day for no reason. Like I have to really focus on like measuring our outputs as a company and making sure we hit those. So, you know, we, once we, you know, once we hit our goals, like if I want to take a break, like, you know, Friday night, just go meet some friends. Like that's not going to kill us as a company. You know, that's totally fine. If I work out in the morning for an hour, like, yeah, I could get some work done that hour, but that's not going to kill us long term. So I think, you know, kind of just getting growing and maturing to realize that has been the biggest change from this coming in the last company. Yeah. It makes me think about a really good definition of sacrifice that I heard where it's giving up something of a lower nature for something of a higher nature. It's yeah, exactly. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of times, you know, like I don't even consider it a sacrifice. I think, you know, the, it's a privilege to get to do what I do. Like there's people out there, you know, like you have people in third world countries, like working in like mines doing shit like that. Like they'd trade anything to work 80 hours behind a desk in an AC room. I mean, there's, and then even like in our own, AC like, can get kind of cold though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in like, you know, and even in like our own society, right? The people who hate their jobs, like, you know, they, if you could tell them like, you can do what you love for a living, they love, they, they, they trade that for in a heartbeat, right? Like they're working some shitty job. They hate, like I, what I get to do is a privilege. Like, why do you think they don't do it? I mean, a lot, I mean, just about a lot of people got to pay their bills. Like, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, you see a lot of YouTube advice, like, Hey, like quit your job, do what you want. But if you got, you got to pay, pay your bills the other day. I mean, maybe your passion is like painting. Right. And you like, you're realistic. You're like, I mean, like you're doing it on the side, like, I'm probably not going to like, you know, I'm not going to make enough to pay my bills. You know, I'm not gonna be able to leech off my, like, maybe I don't have anyone to leech off of to like live. Like, what are my options? Like, you know, I think a great story is like Prince actually. Prince was working as an airport janitor and he would like use that money for studio time. And he ended up blowing up. I'm sure like there's a lot of people, they don't, they probably had a similar story, right? Like they were like hustling doing the sign. Just, they just didn't have maybe the musical skill, but they loved it, right? So, you know, maybe not everyone has the privilege to work, to do what they love for work. Like, you know, there's definitely this rose color gla- glasses we wear sometimes. Like everyone can be an entrepreneur, everyone can be their own boss, or everyone can do their dream job. I mean, it's just not the case. Like, you know, we need like electricians. Like, maybe you, maybe, and that's something you can't enjoy your work. Like, you know, I worked as a software engineer. Like, I enjoyed that work. It wasn't like my dream, but it was really good work. And I was getting paid a good amount. Like, I understand why people do stuff like that. Like, you know, life isn't as, isn't like super black and white, like it's a dream job or you hate it, right? But, you know, I think, I still think, like, you know, I'm extremely lucky. You know, I've, I got a chance to, like, you know, I have, like, you know, some great mentors. I have great people in my network. Like, I have been blessed with incredible opportunities. I think, you know, like if I don't, if I got to work like a hundred hours one week, like who cares? Like I, that's a small, like that's my end of the bargain basically. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times people can get caught up in life, bills, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of have to hang up the Jersey. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think maybe, you know, like I think, I don't think I'm any better than people who work a nine to five just because you're an entrepreneur. Like, just because you run a startup or just because you have like some business, you just because you have a lot of money. You're in, People so. can get on that high horse. Yeah. Because you've been able to be in the scene and meet other founders. Like, would you say you feel like some of these people kind of have that air of superiority other other people? Because like, hey, like I did this. 100%. You know, I think that's 100%. I think, I think a lot of people do like, oh, I own a business. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. Like, <laughs> and then day, man, it's not that deep. Like, you know. <laughs> Like, you know, even with the start, I think, you know, like a lot of times I'll meet people. Like, I don't even want to, we don't even have to talk about what we do for a living. Right. I think, you know, I think being able to understand, I think it's a lot of times it's like empathy. Like, would you want to hang around someone who's constantly just flexing every achievement on you or like flexing what they do for work? Like, yeah. 
You know, no, like, oh, definitely not. I think even not as sorry. Like, let's say you work like, let's say you work at some like fancy like investment job, right? You're like constantly bringing up like, oh, I met this big wig. I met this guy. Just like you come, just come. I don't want to hang around you. You know, you're, you're an asshole. And it's just like, I it's think, like, what are you talking about? You're talking about other people. Exactly. But what are you contributing to this conversation? Exactly. Like, dude, exactly. It's here. like, you know, I'd rather have a discussion like we're like what we're doing right now, talking about AI, the future. I think that's cool stuff to talk about. Just talking, shooting the shit, having a good time. Like, you know, that's that's much more enjoyable for everybody. Like, you like, you know, I think a lot of times you, I think what starts the one thing is that you, you know, when you take a non-conventional path, you feel like you have to prove yourself. I definitely felt this for a long time. I felt like I constantly had to prove myself to everyone around me. Like I had to prove I wasn't a loser, basically. And I do think a lot, a lot of it comes from like you want to prove to people around you, like, hey, I'm not a loser. Like I'm doing just I'm like taking a non-traditional path. Like I'm, I got my shit going. Um, you know, I think a lot of it stems from that. That's where it came from for me. And I think, you know, just, I think I've been able to like, you know, establish enough credibility where people don't like ask that anymore. Like, you know, if I go meet like, you know, like let's say I'm hanging, I'm meeting like some friends of my parents and I tell them what I'm doing. They're not going to think like, oh, what is this guy doing? Like people, they, they, they understand like, you know, like there's, I've, you know, I think, I've, and also I've just matured as a person, I think a lot. So I think, you know, I think it's just a combination of those two. I think, but yeah, again, like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, People are people, but then it gets to a certain time. It gets to a certain point for some where what they do, they think that's them, right? So it's like, oh, I'm my job, or I'm this, I'm that. But it's like, no, well, who are you as a person? Like you said, do you want to shoot the shit with this random person who's constantly flexing? Well, it's like that person who's constantly flexing, they're not showing you any bits of their own individual personality. It's just stuff that they're just kind of, you know regurgitating onto you that they're trying to pass on as their own thoughts. And you're like, this guy's not fucking original, you know? Yeah, exactly. I just think like, you know, like I just, I think the big thing is just like having friends and having relationships that, that actually is like, it's such a valuable part of life. I think during COVID when it was like taken away, like you kind of start to see like, holy shit, like being isolated sucks. Especially for me, like I'm a very extroverted, like outgoing person. Like I always want to meet people. Like I will go to like any, almost all networking events. Like, you know, if I got time, if there's, if there's a chance to meet new people, I definitely want to be there. So I think for me, just like, you know, I definitely just like, you know, I want to, I want to have a good relationship with people. And I think, you know, like being like super like flexy and stuff is like not very conducive to it. That means, I mean, that means, I mean, I think a lot of times like what we talk about will like, like to a certain extent, like, you know, I can, I provide a lot of unique insights. So I am like a tech entrepreneur per se, like, you know, like it is a big part of my personality, but it's like the way it comes off should not be like ass as like you're an asshole. I think that's the bigger thing, right? You can like, if you play in the NBA, people are going to ask you all kinds of stuff about the NBA. Right. But if you kind of answer in a cool way, you're kind of cool about it. Right. Like people are going to be like, Humble. Gonna, like, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it kind of understand like, you know, you, I, you know, even for myself, I'm not done jack shit yet. If we're being honest, like, I've not achieved like, you know, am I like, you know, like I've not even earned the right to be an asshole yet, in my opinion. Like I don't think I ever will, but you know, I think just like, it's, you know, having like a realistic, you know, being getting over yourself is what the really big thing. And that's that healthy ego check. Like you said, it's that yin and yang where you say, hey, I can do anything. But then you're also humanizing it and saying, well, hey, if I can kind of do anything and I start putting myself on a pedestal, people can't relate to me anymore. And now I'm that guy who's just kind of like, hey, can you intro to me to this person? Can you intro me to that? It's like, yeah, yeah. now you're just that douche who you never want, who you hated in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, part of me is like, I feel like I don't have to, I don't like, I don't have to prove it to every single, I don't have to prove I'm a successful entrepreneur or like. I'm successful in life to every single person I meet. Like, you know, like when you, like, I think, I think when you work in that, if, if, if we just change the job, like if you were like a doctor and you met someone, right, 
you would not feel the need to prove them you're a good doctor in every part of the conversation. Yeah. People would just kind of say, yeah, okay, cool. I think with entrepreneurs, are a lot of people just like are in this is like they're basically unemployed, not doing shit, and this is kind of like like what they say they do. So there is kind of that stereotype, but you know, I think one thing you, or when I was younger too, like you know, like I was, it was so crazy. What I was doing, I had to like constantly prove people, like, no, I swear this this is like this is gonna work out someday. So I think you know, but now it's kind of just like yeah, I don't like I tell you what I do, like I don't need to prove to you like I'm successful every time. Like I already like I already know I am who I am. Yeah, it it sounds like you've gotten enough validation from the external world to be like, hey. Okay, I am who I th- always thought I was. Yeah, yeah. Now that I'm secure in who I am, I don't need to ram it down people's throats. Exactly, exactly. They just take me as is. Exactly, exactly. So I'm just curious because a lot of times when people think entrepreneurs, you go on fucking YouTube and you type in like entrepreneur, how to, like like how to get into that lifestyle. And it's kind of like your co-founder where, hey, wake up 5 a.m., meditate, go for a run, do this, do that. So... The question that I like to ask people is like, what's your morning routine? And it may not be technically morning <laughs> since you're waking up a little bit later, but do you have routines? Okay, man. So I'll be honest. I have struggled with sleep most of my life. So I sleep probably four to six hours a night since my entire life. I don't know how I've done it. I drink an obscene amount of caffeine as well. That's probably That's probably it. But <laughs> you want to hear my morning routine? This, this is going to sound awful for everybody home, but I wake up and I check my email immediately. And I will respond to any emails in my bed, just type them out and knock it out. And then I will drink coffee or some pre-workout and go work out. And then just get to, then take a shower and just get to work. And yeah, and you know, if I go, go into the office, you know, go get ready, do all that stuff. But otherwise either maybe do a little work. If I got something urgent, I do stay at the apartment, do it there or go to the office. And that's about it. It's not super complex. Like I just, you know, for me, I just struggle when there's a lot of rules and stuff and there's a lot of like, constraints on like you know like oh i like need to do x y and z i just gotta get into it do you fast like, yeah you, I, I, I i never eat breakfast so i will yeah i'll probably you know if i wake up let's say wait, say i wake up like seven or something and i go work out till eight i'm probably not gonna eat till 12 or anything but if i feel super hungry at like nine i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like not eat like, yeah you like, just listen to your body but I for the kinda, most yeah. part yeah you'll yeah. skip that i think even the diet like when i lost weight like i didn't do any fancy diet i literally just said calories in calories out it was very, very simple. Um, I think a lot of times, like when you want to do something, it's actually not super complex. It's about you actually doing it. And it's like if you keep it simple, actually, it's not that it's not that hard to do it. It just it's, it just comes out of your willpower. You can hold yourself accountable, right? Versus you do some, you know, if you do like a keto diet, and you're like, oh well, keto didn't work for me, so it really wasn't my fault. X, Y, and Z versus like, you know, calories in, calories out. Like that works. Like yeah. yeah. A lot of times the answers are always right in front of us. Exactly. It just open your eyes. Exactly. Everyone's walking around with blindfolds or purposely with their eyes closed. But it's like if you open your eyes, the answers are right there. And to start kind of wrapping up this podcast, it reminds me of a quote by Steve Jobs where he's talking about how the people who are actually changing the world are actually no smarter than you. Really, the only yeah. difference is they're doing it. Exactly. That's usually the number one difference yeah. is that they're yeah. just doing it. They're not smarter. They're not more capable. And like what you've been saying in this podcast, you're like, hey, I'm not a super genius. It's just that I've always been super interested in this area. I've become an expert because I just love learning. I'm an information junkie and I keep iterating. I'm failing fast and I learn from each time. I fall into one of those pitfalls. I've been meeting the right people. And so you're doing it. 
It's not the fact that you got the special sauce, you got the the chip in your head that Elon <laughs> tried to convince you yep, yep. into the earlier scenario. You're just doing it. Exactly. And I think for a lot of people, you know, if you really want to do something, just start doing it. Like, don't think, I think a lot of times, like, thinking is actually bad. Like, again, don't, like, mortgage, like, don't mortgage your house because you think going to do something's a good idea. But if, most things to start don't take that much money. Like, you know, I was able, like hardware stars usually raise a ton of money to get off the ground. I was able to bootstrap that and like make something out of that. Like, a lot of times, just figure out what you can do to start today. Like, I think this is something I'll do. Even, like, when we got to do like a new product or we're doing a product sprint, like, you know, like it's super complex. Like, let's just start throwing stuff out and you know, let's figure out how we can get this out in, like a day if we needed to. Like, we won't actually do that bare minimum. It's like just a thought experiment, right? So, you know, that's just like, you know, that's just how I. I've always operated. I think it's a lot of the ADHD thing. You constantly need to be doing something. You just hate around planning and all that stuff. So I think it's like a, it's a plus here. But I think, yeah, that's exactly. Just do it. I think this is a perfect way to end the podcast. Uh, Caleb, thank you so much for your time. I think there's so much insight that people can glean from this conversation. So I really appreciate your time. I know you're an incredibly busy person as you've laid out during this conversation. So thank you, everybody. This has been the Searching for Something podcast. Um, is there any way that, you know, like website people can reach out? Um, LinkedIn, anything that you yep. want to plug? Yep. Um, my website, our website for Pongo is joinpongo.com. Um, you, if you look up on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, just hit Caleb John. Um, feel free to connect, shoot me a message. I, I definitely do respond as long as you're not trying to sell me something or scam me. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much for your time, Caleb. This has been the Searching for Something podcast. Thank you.